Well, g'day folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, the Christmas edition of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. On a hot and balmy Melbourne night here where it's 30 degrees Celsius, I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran. How are you going, mate? Ho freaking ho, it's Christmas Down Under. The only white stuff that falls from the sky is called superphosphate, and you generally don't find that in the city. Uh, the pr- weather prediction for Christmas Day itself is saying it may be a few showers in the morning, very light ones, and then finding up for the afternoon. Afternoon, maximum temperature is likely to be 22 degrees Celsius. Yes, mate, I can tell it's Christmas week because my uh, my credit cards are sitting in my wallet shattering away from shock. Yes, yes, my uh, bank account is looking decisively depleted at the moment. Uh, thanks to the last minute shopping, I've got one last gift to buy for uh, the most important person in my life. No, I've already done Nikolai's. It's for my partner, Kit. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's already on hold. I've just got to go and pick it up tomorrow. Lovely, mate. Lovely. Well, uh, what we thought we'd do this week, folks, is a bit of a wrap-up for the year. It's uh, you know, it's been an interesting year for us uh, getting this podcast off the ground, as it were. So we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping at the end, and we're going to cover uh, some news briefs and uh, clear the list a little from our uh, planning page of some stories that have uh, mounted up there that we haven't been able to cover for the last couple of weeks while we've been pumping out some special episodes. We also have an interview this week with Mike Gilmore. He's the creator of downwind.com.au, a uh, Australian-based pilots forum, and uh, we'll have that interview coming up a little bit later in the show so yep that's that pretty much sounds like it steve so in the famous words of owens up sit back and enjoy the in-flight entertainment with steve and grant here on plane crazy down under Okay, first up this week, folks, is an article that we found in the Australian Aviation Magazine. Grant, I believe that's our favourite aviation magazine. It most certainly is, and I have a rather large number of copies of that magazine that I'm still working my way through. Ever since I stopped taking the train to work and had to drive in for this other job, I've had less and less time to read my magazines. Most annoying. Mate, you should be catching trains more often. It's a very reliable form of public transport. I can vouch for it. Yeah, but mate, the only the only way to take a train is to be up the front. I can definitely attest that driving a train is like flying an aircraft. It's totally better up the front rather than stuffed in the back with all the rest of the plebs. I thought you were going to say because you do it with your eyes closed, but there you go. Anyway, we'll move on to our first story. and uh, (coughs) Moving right along, uh, this one concerns Gippsland Aeronautics, a local aviation success story down here in Victoria and indeed for Australia, and uh, they've been doing some great things, particularly supplying aircraft to the uh, US Civil Air Patrol. Uh, They've been bought out by an Indian company grant. Yeah, it's not a complete purchase, but it's uh, Mahindra and Mahindra uh, from India have taken a controlling interest in Gippsland Aeronautics and also Aerostaff Australia, and uh, they're looking to get more involved with the defence offsets market here in Australia. Now, uh, we do have Gippsland Aeronautics on um, on our list of people to communicate with in the new year to go down and have a chat with. So this topic may be one that comes up during our chats. Uh, they announced earlier this year that they needed to do some restructuring. Uh, the global financial crisis had hit them, had caused some problems. They were looking at doing some restructuring, and uh, the Mohindra and Mahindra company decided that they wanted to get more into aviation. They're quite large in India. They're involved in a number of other uh, areas in India, including car manufacturing, farm machinery, uh, financial services, IT, tourism, and logistics. So with over 1 million staff around the world, they were wanting to get into aviation. And here's the opportunity where Gibson Aeronautics was asking for some money to help it restructure. Yes, and uh, the figure being banded around here is $38 million to take a majority uh, stake. That's not a lot of money for a uh, successful ongoing aeronautical company that's uh, also looking to uh, resurrect the GAF Nomad. That's the Government Aircraft Factory Nomad, a uh, twin turboprop transport that uh, Australia was making back in the 60s, I believe it was. Gippsland Aeronautics have purchased the license to be able to build that again, no doubt with their own uh, 
eye towards composites and uh, very funky construction styles and slight redesign for aerodynamics. I'm pretty sure they'll make a, a winner of an airframe out of that one. Yeah, just looking at the uh, the company website here at gipsaero.com, it's, uh, they're rebranding it as the N24 Nomad, a 16-passenger multi-role aircraft. Uh, they're going to be fitting it with uh, Rolls-Royce 250B17F engines, uh, some Hartzell propellers, and uh, most importantly, glass cockpit technology. So uh, it's will still be the uh, similar airframe, probably the same airframe, as you say, Grant, with some upgrades to uh, to uh, some of the materials that they're going to put in it. But, uh, yeah, just a vastly upgraded version of the Nomad. The other one, of course, that they're famous for is the GA8 Aerovan, and uh, the latest version of that, of course, is a turbocharged version. So, yeah, they've been doing great things with the Airvan. I'm kind of interested that given that they seem to have been ramping up production so much over the last couple of years that, uh, you know, they, they've hit a little bit of financial strife despite the uh, global financial crisis. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of their customers uh, appear to be government uh, customers, uh, particularly with the uh, as I mentioned before, the U.S. Civil Air Patrol. Of course, the most notable uh, uh, air van that we've talked about lately is the one that's going up to uh, Joel Haskey to join his fleet up there in Sydney. That's correct. Uh, we also had a very, way back. We also had a very quick chat with uh, the folks at Mission Aviation Fellowship, who uh, have a couple of air vans, the turbo ones out there. But uh, a really big role for the air van around the world is skydiving. Uh, being uh, it's it's a good little aircraft for getting up high. It's it's renowned for having a, a good fuselage for getting people out of. Uh, it's not not as good as the Pac 750 XL, the uh, the one from New Zealand, which is a turbine. But uh, it is a, it is a good um, good skydiving workhorse. So yeah, as Grant mentioned before, uh, Gippsland Aeronautics they're not a huge distance away from where we live here in Melbourne, and uh, yeah, they're definitely on our to do list uh, <laughs> for the new year for uh, somebody to interview down there. And we we certainly hope that we can make some contact there, and we'll discuss this issue and many others with them when we make some contact with them. But uh, we'll move on to our next story here, mate. Yeah, indeed. This next one is uh, about Casa finally having listened to the uh, Plane Crazy podcast and uh, have realized that, yes, we are correct in our lambasting their limitation of only six aircraft per runway in the uh, new modified GAP procedures, GAP being General Aviation Aerodrome Procedure. We haven't yet transitioned the GAP aircraft to FAA Class D procedures. as That's going to happen in June 3rd, 2010. But as per this article, yet again from australianaviation.com.au, they're going to, um, CASA going to uh, lift the cap from six aircraft in the circuit to eight so you'll be allowed to have eight aircraft per uh, active runway at any of the six general aviation aerodrome procedure airports around Australia, which include Archerfield in um, Brisbane, Bankstown in Sydney, along with Camden in Sydney, Moorabbin here in Melbourne, and Parafield in Adelaide and Jandicott in Perth. Now, this change will take place from January the 18th. Uh, frankly, I think they should do it straight away. Everybody mm. I talk to down at Moorabbin, I know quite a few pilots down there, obviously, everybody's groaning about the uh, the cap well, the cap in yeah. general, but uh, six aircraft, it's causing some, some real problems with congestion at the inbound points, and we've talked about that a couple of times with a couple of different people. We yep. had hoped to get uh, Baz Sheffers on from Adelaide with us tonight, but of all things in the middle of summer, he's suffering from a cold and uh, can't join <laughs> us on the show tonight, unfortunately. So, uh, Baz, we hope you're feeling better soon. And, yeah, uh, get well, mate. Yeah, obviously Baz is uh, originally Dutch, so maybe his uh, body clock still thinks it's the middle of winter. and uh, Could be, could went out, be. Went out in sympathy, but... Uh, yeah, but I'm sure he'll have some interesting uh, views on that, uh, given that uh, he flies in and out of Parafield. So. Yeah, we are looking to have a bit of a roundtable discussion with Baz and a few other uh, a few other RA and GA pilots about the whole gap procedures and what it's like working in the modified uh, environment, uh, and also on the lead up to the change transition to the FAA Class D 
later in uh, towards the middle of 2010, we'll uh, bring in our favorite air traffic controllers as well, and we'll chat with them about what they know about what's coming up. Actually, that's an interesting point in itself, Grant, that they've decided to opt for the uh, FAA Class D as opposed yeah. to the uh, ICAO Class D. Uh, I don't know that there's that much difference in it. US Class D airspace is in a circular, circular in form and normally extends from the surface to 2,500 feet above the ground to a variable radius, generally five statute miles around airports with an operational control tower and not otherwise in Class C or Class B airspace. Woohoo. I wonder if they'll modify that or whether they'll just use that as is. Uh, Time will tell with that. But, uh, yeah, folks, we will uh, check that out a bit more for you in the new year, uh, along with many other things we plan to do in the new year, and uh, we'll certainly be following this uh, as the uh, transition time comes along. Okay, Grant, no edition of Playing Crazy Down Under would be complete without at least one article from Steve Creedy. Woohoo! And this one deals with a system known as, let me just pull this up here, Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, better known to most of us as ADSB. That's the one, ADSB, woohoo, causing lots of waves all around the world, especially in the US, as most of you'd know if you've been listening to uncontrolled airspace, airplane geeks, etc. It's um, a new technology based on GPS systems uh, where the aircraft broadcasts its position. It doesn't rely on a radar and a transponder return and so on. The aircraft uh, sends out the information about where it is, and that's ADSB out, which is the bare minimum that you want to have. Uh, ground-based systems pick that information up, can relay it, but can also send it back to a computer system that paints it like a radar screen on a controller's terminal. Uh, if you have ADSB in on your computer on your aircraft, you'll get um, the ability to display the air, air traffic around you either as a series of of uh, warnings and advisories on a basic display, or you can have it plugged into your multifunction display systems and show it as traffic. You know, these this aircraft's above you, this one's below you, ascending, descending, things like that. If you've played your Microsoft Flight Simulator and you've got all the add-ons for it, you'll see it. Uh, I know when I'm in the 737 simulator, they've got the uh, the traffic plugged in there as well, and it shows up quite nicely. But that only works if you've got ADS-B in and a good set of glass panels. Uh, but in the US, they're definitely mandating that everyone's to have ADS-B out as a minimum. And that's what we've introduced here in Australia. Well, Grant, you're obviously far more full bottle on it than I am and probably most people. <laughs> well, it's my favorite thing. It's, you know, computers and aircraft and yeah, combining them all together. Woo-hoo. Yeah, absolutely. So Might. that's what ADSB is. Um, and the important thing here is that uh, Australia will next week become the first nation in the world to uh, have this system running when it fully commissions 28 ground-based stations for this new satellite-based navigation system. Yep. Unlike the US, we don't have a lot of radars all across the country. Uh, we don't have a lot of military bases all across the country. Australia is not known as the big empty for nothing. If you look on a map and compare uh, or even just go to fact sheets, Look at the surface area of Australia versus the surface area of the continental United States. Uh, do the math, and there's huge areas of nothing in there when you realize that most population is clustered around the main cities on the eastern and western seaboards and southern, of course. So there's not a lot of, of people per square mile when you get into the middle. Uh, no radar coverage, so having AD, ADSB line of sight systems is going to significantly improve uh, air traffic control coverage of aircraft across Australia and especially in some hot spots that uh, it's a lot cheaper to put this in than put in a radar, provided of course everyone has their ADSB out as a minimum. Yeah, this system is going to allow for a bit more flexibility too as far as the airlines go, isn't it, Grant? They're going to be able to yep. uh, operate more efficiently. That's what they've been calling for for a long time. 
And of course, the uh, the big catch cry these days is that uh, it's going to allow them to operate greener. Yes, which is whenever an airline talks about greener, it's another way of saying we're saving money because we're burning less fuel. But it's more polite and cool and hip to say greener these days. And really, it's all about saving money anyhow. Because that's the one thing that a lot of the um, the emissions people are missing out on is the fact that the airline industry has done more to reduce fuel burn per seat kilometer than any other industry around but that's mostly because they're not worried about the environment they're trying to save fuel yeah saving money is just a uh, just a uh, you know a bonus yeah look the, the my big concern about moving to um, gps based systems and you've got the rnav rnav approaches are the bees knees in queenstown and new zealand they're going in all around new zealand melbourne's just got its rnav those aircraft are tracking to within a couple of meters on their approach path every time on the run into the airport you, you've got a lot of a lot of work being done on these gps satellite based systems but what's the backup what happens if satellites degrade what happens if for some strange reason you can't talk to them you're in deep trouble uh in the u.s you've got the loran system the low frequency system where they've act, uh, way back they actually put some it was traditionally done uh around the ocean loran was used by um, marine navigators to uh, determine where they were low frequency travels quite well underwater around the world that kind of thing so they're using loran to figure out where they were they put in some loran base stations in the middle of the usa to help give signals and steve i believe when you were learning to fly you had a loran based mo- uh, navigation system yeah we had a uh, north star loran system fitted into our system 172 and you know we're talking early 90s um that that was a fantastic piece of technology in fact it was so good that when i was learning to flying instruments my uh, flying instructor would often uh, pull the circuit breaker out so i couldn't use the thing that's, that's how accurate it was and i know there's been uh, calls there's been some talk around in the u.s i've heard on other podcasts we listen to the government there has been making some noises about perhaps shutting down the loran system but uh, you know uh, pilot you know aopa and i think many of the other interested pilot or alphabet pilot groups over there don't want the loran system shut down for that very reason you talked about which is it provides a backup uh, you know yep. what if a bit of space junk takes out one of the satellites you know it uh, you know that's that's not outside the realms of possibility. No, we've had we've had a couple of space collisions where our satellites have gone dark or been knocked out of the sky. We've also got the situation right now where a, a few of these uh, GPS satellites are out of date. They're, some of them are on the edge of shutting down, and the satellites that we're going to be putting up there to replace them have been delayed by budgetary and launch system delays. So. There is a, there is the potential there that you're not going to have enough satellite coverage to be able to do a uh, get an, a good enough signal for all this to work. These are the risks, and that's why having the Loran around as a backup, the, the systems can plug straight into any MFD-based environment, and you can get the same kind of information from it. Perhaps not as accurate, perhaps not as brilliant, but still quite good and close enough to allow you to uh, do those uh, descents and minimas and things like that, so that you've got a backup system in case anything goes wrong. And and being the IT geek that I am. I've seen so many things go wrong. I know the importance of a good backup that's of a totally different technology. It's all very well to say, oh, we've got a GPS system and we've got a Magellan system for the Euro-based satellite system that's going up there. But what happens if something goes wrong and you can't get a signal? If there's some, I know this is pushing it out there, but you know, the classic scorching the ionosphere where suddenly signals can't get through, you're stuffed. You've yeah, probably got I mean, bigger problems to worry about if that happens, but you know, you just, yeah, well, always good to have a backup. That's true, yeah, I guess. But uh, I think I think the obvious answer to the question here, and given that we don't have Loran here in Australia uh, or in New Zealand, uh, the idea would be to uh, sure let's get ADSB and use that as the primary system, but still keep the uh, you know the, the current 
system in place as a backup, the you know the procedural type system that uh, Ben and Jeremy were talking about for non-radar coverage areas. Yep. And you know keep the VORs running and the NDBs if we uh, if we still need NDBs and uh, you know the ILS all this sort of stuff. Keep all that still running uh, and and have that as a backup and uh, you know let's let's keep it in good working order, not just have it there and, and hope it works if we need it, but keep the stuff in good working order, which is you know something that multiple governments are not particularly good at when it comes to maintaining uh, older infrastructure. Part of the cost-benefit analysis, especially in the US, for the use of ADSB and satellite nav is the fact that they can uh, decommission a lot of the ground-based navigation aids, specifically the radars, the area radars, as opposed to the approach radars. But they're, they're looking at um, decommissioning radars and potentially some VORs as well, I believe, but definitely the radars. So let's keep an eye on this one. Okay, the next one, moving across the Tasman briefly to New Zealand and talking about their flag carrier, Air New Zealand. Uh, here's a quick article, Grant, that we found on Bloomberg.com saying that Air New Zealand is more affected by the 787 delay than the, the economic slump. This is an interesting one. It's uh, Rob Fife, the CEO of Air New Zealand, commenting that... Uh, because the uh, airline won't get the first of their eight 787s until at least uh, late 2013, which is three years later than planned, they've had to do a lot of strategy changes. In fact, they've had to do more strategic changes uh, due to the 787 delays than they had to because of the economic crisis. And this has materially affected them. It's causing them to have to delay on launching new routes, so it's preventing some of their expansion. And they've also had to uh, reassess their use of aircraft, uh, renegotiate some leases that they thought they'd be able to get rid of. And um, they're incurring some higher maintenance costs because they're looking after older aircraft. So there's quite a material financial hit to the airline because of this delay. So one of the things I'm wondering is if this is um, if this is Rob maybe getting ready to uh, start some posturing to have a chat with Boeing about some more uh, remuneration. Yeah, speaking in an article here that Bloomberg is quoting, uh, it's actually published on the uh, iata.org website in their press room. He was asked there how have the uh, production delays of the uh, 787 affected uh, Air New Zealand. He's quoted here as saying, we can talk about the economic crisis and other industry issues such as the price of oil, the environment and so forth, but the biggest challenge for us, the biggest impact on our business, is the delay of the Boeing 787. So uh, he's not mincing words there, Grant. Uh, absolutely, uh. and I think he won't be the only uh, CEO of a major airline lining up to have a bit of a chat with Boeing. Do do you think that uh, all of these airlines in general really got caught up in the Dreamliner hype? I mean, it was a much hyped thing when it first came along. And what are we talking here? Probably 10 years now since the, the idea was uh, first mooted to bring in this new generation airline. Yeah. Do you think perhaps that along with Boeing perhaps being a bit unrealistic in its um, you know expectations? Of, a bit. Yeah, overestimating its ability to produce this airliner by the uh, in the time frame it uh, said it would. It seems to me that Air New Zealand and Qantas and, and really every other airline on the planet is also got caught up in this hype and uh, now they're paying the price. When a major airline that normally has a pretty good track record of bringing aircraft out, even allowing for the 777 and things like that, they say it's going to be ready on this date. Well, you start planning and being ready for it. Uh, you have some contingency in there for it not being available, but generally it's a byline and you, you do make some plans. You expect, okay, there could be six months slippage. Hey, it's new. Maybe it's going to be a year late, but you allow for that. And then announcement after announcement after announcement comes out, but it's hidden. The, the announcements, you know, like... Look at France the, at the um, Le Bourget air show. Boeing saying it's going to fly any day, and then after the air show, oh, actually we've got to delay it, and we've got a major fault with the wing box. I mean, mm. you know, all this kind of stuff. I think the seven eight seven is a classic example of many business IT kind of projects where um, the management don't listen to what the technology people are saying and allow the um, the shareholders and the, oh my God, we have to keep everything looking good for the shareholders mentality 
to take over. And Boeing got, got right into that world and they pandered to the shareholders and they ignored the uh, the engineers and overrode them and pushed them and things like that. And look what you get. And I see this again and again in IT projects. Uh, the Telstra transformation comes to mind immediately where uh, you know anyone with half a brain in IT goes, that's ridiculous, it's never going to work. And yet it gets pushed through because management want to make their bonuses and report to shareholders. It sounds like uh, railway mental- mentality too, mate. Uh, we see that a lot in the railway game too, where, you know, the, yeah. the people that know well, are asked and then, you know, they just paid lip service to really. And, yep. uh, you yep. know, that's probably the same for any industry too. One of the other interesting points here is that not only are they um, having to look at a delay in the delivery of the new aircraft, it also means that they have to um, maintain their older aircraft in the interim. Yep, that's right. And the older the aircraft, the more it costs to maintain typically. And uh, yeah, that's that's a big issue for them. That that does impact an already fragile bottom line. It takes a lot out of your margin when you've, you've got to keep these around, renegotiate leases and, and pay that maintenance. So Rob's renowned for not uh, mincing his words. He's uh, had a couple of goes we've reported a few times where he hasn't held back and has been quite direct in his commentary on things such as environmental issues and, and so on. And uh, this is another example of that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll pop a link in the show notes, Grant, to this IATA uh, yep. press room article. It's actually quite a uh, long interview with Rob Fife, and uh, you know, he actually uh, talks about a number of issues, including the environment and the price of oil and a number of other things. So, yeah, quite an interesting article. So, yeah, if you uh, pop over to the website um, and uh, you can pick that one out of the show notes. Very interesting reading. Okay, Grant, the next one we're going to talk about here is our good friends over there at Qantas. And uh, a couple of articles, one of which we found on australianaviation.com.au and uh, this one here that we also found on Flight Global. It's talking about Qantas to uh, operate their A380 on the Melbourne-London route. That's right. They're already operating existing A380s on the Sydney to London route via Singapore. And uh, now they're going to be, uh, uh, sorry, and they're also operating their existing A380s on the Melbourne to Los Angeles route and now they're going to introduce um, A380s onto the Melbourne and London uh, replacing a 747-400 that they typically operate. It says here Grant that they're going to uh, begin uh, operating the A380 from Melbourne from the 18th of January 2010 uh, starting with one or two flights a week and uh, they're going to increase that from the end of March to uh, a twice weekly service. Interesting Uh, yeah they're saying it's because they've taken delivery of their uh, fifth uh, A380, uh, which apparently on its delivery flight into Australia was delayed and missed the Sydney uh, cur- curfew and actually wound up arriving here in Melbourne late at night. Uh, lucky us here in Melbourne, we have no curfew because our airport is far enough out from the city still so far, mostly. Well, that is changing as, as urban sprawl encroaches on it. But, uh, go yeah, back no. a few episodes to hear my views on an airport curfew at Sydney. How ridiculous. <laughs> it says Indeed. here the airline already operates a, a number of, uh, in fact, 13 Melbourne to London uh, flights uh, every week uh, using 747-400s. Uh, so, yeah, a couple of those are going to be uh, retasked, I guess, Grant, to do something else while the uh, newer aircraft comes online. Well, that's already happening. Uh, we're now seeing Qantas go non-stop between Sydney and Buenos Aires, uh, thanks to having their uh, 747-400 ERs that were being used on the Trans-Pacific route that are now being uh, replaced by the A380s. So you've got some 744 ERs ready to go. So they're actually able to go Sydney to Buenos Aires, Transpolar. They don't have to use uh, the Auckland stopover anymore that they were with the 744s. They're older ones. So this is really good news and for Qantas being 
being able to free up their aircraft. But uh, the bit I've got like here is their fifth and sixth aircraft, VH Oscar Quebec Echo and Oscar Quebec Foxtrot, are named Lawrence Hargrave and Charles Kingsford Smith, respectively. About time they named at least one of them after Charles Kingsford Smith, surely. Yeah, yeah. uh, They did. They did take a little while to get to him, but Lawrence Hargrave does appear on the uh, $20 note here in Australia, uh, some of our plastic fantastic money. And, um, yeah, he is. He was a leading aeronautical engineer here in Australia, uh, worked a lot with uh, gliders and so on. And, uh, yeah, if you go and look him up, Lawrence Hargrave on Wikipedia, you'll find quite a bit of information about him. And I guess the last word on this issue uh, should come from none other than Alan Joyce, the head of uh, the Jetstar Group, of which Qantas is a member. And he says that more than 500,000 people have now flown on the Qantas A380 services, uh, and it remains extremely popular with our customers. Yep, it does. I still question the strategy of charging a premium to ride on that plane if they want to fill the things up. I wonder why. I mean, not everybody agrees with my thoughts on this, but you know, why are they charging a premium to fly on these things? And the reason I ask that is we're at a time where money's tight. And, you know, I'd love to fly on a 380, but I'm not going to be slugged in the pocket to fly on it. If there's a comparable service going with the 747 or, you know, with a rival carrier, I'm going to look at that at the moment. Indeed. Perhaps when uh, times are better, they can look at doing stuff like that. But, you know, I would have thought with, the, you know, the supply and demand principle that, you know, um, we, we hear around that they're still not filling those aircraft up. I think uh, was telling us that in the last uh, episode. Oh, he was he was commenting more on their uh, wanting to re- right from the start, pretty much just after they introduced them. They were talking about uh, pulling out a few first and business class seats to replace them with economy. Mm. Uh, it's not so much that they're not filling them. Well, they, they probably are in those sections. It's more the the reflecting the fact that uh, the dynamic has shifted more towards economy and premium economy uh, with businesses saying that you're not allowed to travel business class anymore uh, people uh, more and more p- uh, frequent flyers more and more business types are winding up in cattle class however that's Qantas have finally introduced their uh, premium economy equivalent and uh, that does give you economy service but with more space and better seating and a, a different area of the cabin and you're finding that uh, more more of the uh, premium kind of people are, are going for that option because hey it's still economy you can get away with it Star offer the ability to purchase specific seats somewhere in the plane to give you a better space if you, that you like. Jetstar has even introduced that. They're uh, allowing you to pay more money to get the front three rows. So again, it's only a small increase. So uh, Jetstar makes a little bit more money and the person's happy because they get to sit where they want and the um, bean counters are happy because, hey, you're not flying business class, so that goes underneath the radar. Okay, Grant, the last news brief we've got uh, for this episode uh, is talking about uh, an, uh, an issue that we've covered on uh, previous episodes, so it's nice to have a bit of follow-up here. It's talking about the uh, Ambly Air Base uh, Creek contamination, and it uh, looks like the uh, Defence Department is going to uh, take some steps to fix that up. That's right. As we've reported on a number of episodes, uh, there was some dis- a discovery of some significant contamination in the uh, creek that runs near Ambly Air Base. That's due to the uh, F-111 fuel tank deseal reseal operation that was been going on since the 70s there was a um, incinerator down the back there that was just being used all the all the crap chemicals were being burnt and there was no real environmental impact done there was no real controls and uh, they investigations have confirmed that mercury cadmium chromium and nickel have escaped into the creek 
uh, from the airbase's sewage treatment plant. However, it, it hasn't spread into the Bremer River nearby or onto irrigated land. They claim no other, no fish or other animals have been affected. So, Steve, I don't think you're going to see Blinky down there, the, the famous three-eyed fish. Mm, Matt Groening will be uh, disappointed with that. <laughs> but, yeah, they are being made to update the sewage treatment plant. Uh, so no real mention in here about uh, the whole um, incinerator that was being discussed previously, but uh, they are taking uh, steps to, at some significant cost, upgrade the sewage treatment plant for the base. Looking here at an article that we found on abcnews.net.au and uh, there's a quote here from a spokesman from the Queensland Environment Department, a gentleman by the name of Randall Hart. Uh, He says that uh, upgrading the sewage treatment plant is uh, going to be at a significant cost to the Defence Department. He goes on to say a bit further down the article, however, that the uh, Defence Department has not been fined for this transgression. But he does say that if they transgress this uh, transitional environmental program, which is a statutory instrument, there will then be significant fines. Uh, Hmm, got off lucky this time, huh? Yeah, it also says that uh, a ban on swimming and fishing in the waterway has now been lifted, so uh, well, that's a good thing (laughs) with summer coming up and the hot weather and all that sort of stuff. There you go. (laughs) Coming up after the break, looming industrial trouble for Qantas in New Zealand, Tiger Airways doing a bit of revenue raising, and our interview with Michael Gilmore from downwind.com.au. All coming up when Plan Crazy Down Under continues. Flight experience 556, you're cleared for takeoff. Imagine sitting in a pilot's seat, flying past London Bridge or the Eiffel Tower, and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's flight experience. From the roar of the engines to amazing visuals, flight experience puts you in control of the 737 flight simulator. It's so real, your senses actually believe you're flying. For more information, go online to flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight experience, the ultimate flying experience experience. G'day, this is Owens Up. Join me in May 2010 as I trek around Australia in a Jabiru 230 to celebrate the centenary of powered flight down under and in the process raise vital funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Check out my website and follow my progress at www.thereandback.com.au. In the meantime, sit back, relax and enjoy the in-flight service with Grant and Steve on Playing Crazy Down Under. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you're listening in from. I'm Saad Ahmed from FleetBuzzEditorial.com, and I'm here with the guys from Plane Crazy Down Under, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Have you seen an aviation news article from the Australia Pacific region? Then why not email it to us, or better yet, record your own voice and send it to PlaneCrazyDownUnder at gmail.com. And welcome back, folks. Just with regard to the Flight Experience Melbourne commercial you just heard there, mention Plane Crazy Down Under when you're making your booking and receive a $10 discount off any package. And we really do thank the Flight Experience Melbourne crew for their support of the Plane Crazy Down Under program. So, Steve, did you get your water? I do have my water, mate. It's uh, mixed up with a little bit of uh, lemon cordial. Oh, most excellent. Some of Melbourne's finest tap water. Well, here's another one of Melbourne's finest. Have a listen to this. Ah. Mmm. Let me see. I'm tipping that wasn't a can of Coke. No, no, no. This is uh, 375 mils of 4.6% beer. That's right. It's Melbourne Bitter. Well, there you go. Cheers, mate. uh, Cheers to you, mate. And anybody that knows me knows that I am no aficionado when it comes to beer. I do indulge in a uh, Cascade Light occasionally. 
Yeah, now, as most people who do know me know that uh, I like beer, but I'm not considered to be uh, someone of beer taste. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I've had people saying, why can you drink that crap? Um, look, it's not as bad as Victoria Bitter, um, and it's way better than Foster's, but it's just a comfort beer. Um, there are other better beers around, but this one just seems to work right for me at night. Mm. Now, there is one listener in particular to this show who I know, yes, I'm talking to you, Mr. Villani. There will be no need for you to write in and tell anybody about my slab, my famous slab that I brought over to a railway get-together one day. Hmm. Uh, if that, I'm sure that won't find its way into the listener feedback line, will it, mate? Oh, I detect some bribery and corruption going on here. <laughs> I'll, be, uh, I'll be watching the inbox closely. <laughs> uh, don't worry, if I get to it first, it's going public <laughs> Unbelievable <laughs> What are friends and mates and podcasters for? I'm beginning to wonder Okay, Grant, let's <laughs> move on to our next story here Okay, moving right along Have a drink Oh, I already am So we haven't picked on this airline for a while So let's have a bit of a talk about our good friends at Tiger Airways there you go. Tiger Airways is uh, looks like they're going for an IPO. That's right. They're looking to raise some uh, funds to help purchase the aircraft that they've got on uh, order and also to help offset the loss that they incurred here in Australia. And the Tiger Aviation Group, the parent company of Tiger Airways, is uh, looking to do an, init- an initial public offering to help uh, get that money. They were originally going for $500 million Singaporean dollars. Uh, they were advised that's probably not going to happen. They're now looking at, uh, they came back down to four hundred, and they were told that may not happen either. So they're now going for... Uh, 200 to 250 million Singaporean dollars and uh, the indications are that if they can't get at least 200 million they're going to withdraw the IPO. Uh, The Singaporean operation is making a profit but the Australian operation Tiger Airways that actually lost about 50 million Australian dollars this year as I think we've reported previously. They've got 17 aircraft between the two operations at the moment another 55 on order so they need to pay for them and generally keep themselves running. Tiger Airways, how long have they been here, Grant? Probably two years now where they've been operating? Hmm, that's a very good question. Let's see what the internet can tell us. And the reason I <laughs> ask that is, how long can they write that $50 million loss uh, off as uh, startup costs? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, 2007, March 16th, 2007 approval. November 2007 they started. So one and a half years. Yeah, huh. so they would they would have obviously two years, two years, yeah. Okay, so yeah, they would have obviously paid a uh, even though they're a, a very small operation, it still would have been a, a significant startup cost for them. Interesting that they're looking to raise more money. As I've said before on previous episodes, they have just got to get more aircraft in, and I think uh, I think that's one of the keys to them uh, being more profitable is to be able to offer a, a better service for a start. They need to be able to better service the route network that they've got, which I already think is overstretched, and um, and hit the big markets. The, you know, we send them enter into the Melbourne Sydney corridor which is which was a smart move now they need to look at things like sydney brisbane melbourne brisbane uh, yep. routes like that rather than looking at some of the smaller um, ports where they're, they're operating into because as we we see and we, we've seen it again in the last couple of weeks uh, more flights being cancelled and more people being left stranded in areas where they uh, are not easily able to hop onto another airline so this ipo and this fundraising exercise that they're going on i, I hope it works out for them i know i'm very negative about t- tiger and that's you know from the the one time i used them i was unimpressed by them <laughs> 
but uh, it's in everybody's interest that they succeed. It's always hard for a third airline to operate in this country with a population of uh, 22 million. However, uh, it's good for everybody if uh, they have more competition. So, uh, yeah, I hope it's successful for them. Yeah, and look, if you know what you're getting into, you can have a successful flight with Tiger. If you know you're going in and just treating it as a bus and just going from point A to point B as basic as possible with no legroom, you're fine. The uh, interesting, the, the most recent stranding that they had was here in Melbourne. Eight hours they were delayed on a flight to Hobart uh, for some mechanical reasons. So, yeah, it's not just at the out-of-the-way places that they have delays. Uh, stuck here in Melbourne, hmm, you'd think you'd be able to get onto other flights, but, yeah, they uh, everyone seemed to hang around. Yeah, not at but, this time of year. Yeah, true. They are very packed at this time of year. But part of the big thing of this IPO is that uh, a couple of the existing shareholders, uh, the private investment firm Indigo Partners, and the Ryan family's Ryan Asia, yes, that's as in the people who uh, set up and own Ryanair over in Europe. They're actually looking at reducing their holding, and especially if the uh, if the IPO is oversubscribed, they're going to sell off more of their holdings than what's already up on the line at the moment. So, uh, yeah, interesting that they're wanting to get out. And Singapore has apparently written off all they can from the losses. Uh, they can't write down the the losses anymore. Yeah, so it's uh, not going to be all smooth sailing for Tiger Airways. It says here that the public offer will be launched on the uh, Singapore Stock Exchange on uh, January 13. Uh, or actually, it's going to be listed on January the 22nd. The public offer will be launched on the 13th. Uh, the unknown factor here is that uh, the company's main investor, which is, of course, Singapore Airlines, they own a 49% stake, and uh, that's the big question here. Are they going to uh, increase that uh, stakeholding in the company? Well, it's quite an amazing... It's almost like Singapore's using this as an experiment because Tiger is diametrically opposed to the Singapore experience in terms of quality of service and, and so on. So I don't know, Singapore, you know, as I said, they, they've they've stopped accounting for the Tiger's losses because uh, the cumulative losses that they've experienced have exceeded Singapore's original investment in the carrier. So mm. <laughs> I'm not sure whether they're going to throw money and chase down or whether they're just going to sit back and let themselves get a bit diluted. Yeah, well, uh, of course, I'm no financial commentator, so I won't even pretend to try commenting any further on that. But uh, yeah, inter- <laughs> interesting times. I mean, I hope it works out for Tiger and that they can uh, become a better airline than they currently are. And uh, you know, like I said before, that's in everybody's interest that... Uh, they succeed in that endeavor well they are definitely taking steps to improve they're doing things now that they were not doing uh way back especially as you can attest in your flight uh they are now starting to give people hotel vouchers they are starting to work with people to try and proactively fix the problem that they've introduced so they're they're not just dumping people and saying hey you paid nothing what do you expect yeah. Uh, they, are, they are starting to up the ante a bit and try and improve their game. So you, you've got to respect the fact that they're trying. Yeah, absolutely. And a bit of goodwill goes a long way in business, that's for sure. Yep, it does. Okay, the next story we have here, and we're turning our uh, gaze back to Qantas. Uh, they've had a uh, aircraft uh, have an engine out uh, on a uh, departure from Singapore uh, during the week. A uh, 747-400 had what I would assume looks from the article like it's had a compressor stall. And uh, Qantas passengers, uh, reading from this article out of the Sydney Morning Herald, says Qantas passengers on board a flight that turned back shortly after leaving Singapore have described seeing tongues of fire coming out of one of the 747's engines. Yeah, sparks, vibrations, flames, sound. Sounds a lot like a similar scenario to a compressor stall or generally an issue occurring, not so much a full engine fire, but when something goes slightly wrong with a jet, <laughs> you get tongues of flame. Mm. So Qantas is saying it wasn't an engine fire. No, 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 that didn't happen. But hey, as we know, uh, the media loves to get people who know absolutely nothing about things and put them on the, uh, in front of a camera. Yeah, it's, uh, it's saying here they're quoting a guy here by the name of Dylan Brady uh, returning to Melbourne after uh, visiting Singapore in business. Uh, he said the plane 
convulsed and lost power. So, mm, there you go. Well, that's pretty dramatic. To I guess you know, if you didn't know any better, um, you know, and even if you did know better, I mean, it would. It's obviously. I mean, I've never been in a situation like that, and I guess you would obviously f- fear the worst. But yep. uh, you know, at the end, the uh, the aircraft departing with uh, three engines at full power is uh, still really in no trouble. Yeah. No. Look, I know what goes through my mind when my car goes. <coughs> while I'm going up a hill or something it's uh, it always wakes you up to the fact that maybe there's something more than what it really is but uh, yeah I guess this was a, a media sort of me- group of media who were starved for comment and weren't getting anything from the airline uh, they appreciated the official Qantas comment was it's not an engine failure uh, sorry it's not a fire um, No, otherwise no real comment they weren't really doing a lot of supplying a lot of really big information and sensationalism rules so hey let's turn to the uh, passengers and go so how did you feel that's the question they always ask isn't it how did you feel when the person pointed the gun in your face it's like well Duh. Yeah, now we know that Qantas is, is very sensitive to uh, things like this when they happen. They they don't want to uh, have people thinking ill of them, and you can't blame them for that, but they have been having uh, a number of uh, incidents, shall we say? Yeah, the... The Qantas brand has been suffering. Uh, perception is is king, and the perception at the moment of Qantas is a lot less than it was ten years ago. A successive a succession of engine issues and general maintenance related issues, many of which are uh, have to be admitted are semi routine. You know, they're they're not not really full on weird things. Uh, yes, they've had a couple like that with the A three thirty doing the porpoising <laughs> in Air Lermouth, um, and the uh, oxygen cylinder blowing out of the seven four four, but Otherwise, a lot of the things that were blown up front page in the news were uh, not uncommon with many airlines when they're operated a lot. Which is why, Grant, I question their uh, strategy here of, of, of not really saying much about it. Okay, they're denying it was an engine fire, and it probably wasn't. It would have looked spectacular uh, mm-hmm. with the thing. Uh, whatever Whatever's happened to it, it's obviously shut down rather abruptly. Uh, you know, the, uh, the flight crew's done the right thing, shut the engine down and returned. Uh, it says here it happened at uh, 31,000 feet. So, yeah, I question their media strategy here. I, if it were me, I'd be out there, you know, getting on the front foot and saying, OK, it, it, yes, it did look bad, but it, it, this is, uh, you know, we're investigating. And, yeah, these, you know, this is we're the doing scenarios. It could be this or this or this. Yeah, and I mean, uh, we've we've got a replacement turning up and blah, 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 blah. And Yeah, keep, yeah. It, keep everybody in the picture. Um, now, the other thing, of course, that Qantas has been facing is uh, uh, a lot of, uh, outspoken uh, members of their uh, maintenance people. There's been a, it's been a really, really uh, contentious issue here about having a lot of their maintenance offshored, and that plays right into the hands of people such as uh, Steve Pavernus, who's the head of the uh, Lammies Professional Association, and uh, he had this to say on ABC News. They should be maintained to a set standard, not a set price. This is uh, the second of the engines to let go on the last few weeks, and we're going to see this happen on an ever-increased rate as long as Qantas continue to send maintenance of their aircraft offshore. Now that's interesting he said that although Qantas come out as they did when they had the last engine failure they said the same thing this aircraft was in fact not serviced overseas it's been entirely serviced in Australia so yeah I, it certainly goes into the war of words now the uh, the ironic thing is here now they're going to replace that engine that's going to be replaced in Singapore by presumably non-Australian uh, maintenance staff yeah are they going to uh, sling an engine under the wing of a 747 flying packs and ship it across because that's not impossible you can put a fifth engine on those things it doesn't work across just sits there but that's how they ferry an engine and you know are they going to do that no they'll probably just organize a swap or things like that they'll there'll be something gets done to get that aircraft up and running and earning money again now i get really upset when um the unions do this kind of thing and when employers do the same kind of thing back if this had been repaired here in australia it wouldn't have happened yeah right 
There was a while back when uh, Qantas uh, under James Strong was having some uh, mechanical issues. They had a couple of engine fires on takeoff. And there was one classic one, a 767 taking off out of Auckland had a massive engine fire. And uh, look, that again was not where the where the engine was being maintained because it was being maintained in Australia. It was Qantas pushing the boundaries a bit more. Uh, a friend was who was in maintenance was explaining the situation that you know, you, you've got a life expectancy out of an engine before it needs to be maintained and originally Qantas would uh, maintain them at about 80-90% of where most would take them to maintenance and they were they were very well maintained engines, they were very well looked after. Management decided hey we're spending all this money and we're not getting the full value out of it, let's push the engines for a little bit longer before we actually uh, take them off the plane for servicing and lo and behold they had a couple of engine fires. Mm. Um, you know, it was not where it was serviced, it was how long it was run. So when Steve Pavinas gets on and says ah oh, you know this wouldn't have happened if it was serviced in Australia, uh, where's your proof, mate? Where's your proof? I've got a lot of respect for what unions do. I've got a lot of respect for uh, for what goes on. Um, I know I know a lot of corporates, the the management and so on, want to screw everything out of they can out of their out of their people. But this kind of thing just doesn't help. Yeah, and the other point is too, Grant. In this era, uh, aircraft are being flown a lot more than they were, you know, say uh, twenty years ago when we did have a lot more maintenance done in this country. Yes, it makes us all feel good, and as I said in previous episodes, it just looks better if the mm-hmm. aircraft are being serviced here and. I'm all for having more apprenticeships and uh, more, uh, you know, local maintenance being done. Absolutely, that's a great thing for this country. And as it was the case with this aircraft, at least according to Qantas, it hasn't been serviced overseas. So, you know, you're talking about uh, pieces of equipment that are under high stress for long periods of time. Yeah, occasionally things are going to go wrong. Um, nobody was hurt in this incident, fortunately. Yep. And uh, the aircraft returned safely and the passengers were uh, put onto other flights and uh, continued their journey. So it's uh, you know a little bit worrying when you're 30,000 feet above the deck, but uh, in this case it was a, uh, a good result as it turns out. So it won't be too yeah. long before that aircraft's back in service, I'm sure. Well, they're definitely on that one. But I, I think the travelling public need to take a moment and reflect on where we were just 30 years ago when we were going from... Um, Australia to to the USA or to London and we were flying on super constellations and aircraft such as that you know back in the time when it took two or three days to get there of long hard travel and you'd stop over and hang out in various parts of the world and true at the moment it's a two-leg stop to London but you know, the uh, it was a four or five stop across the Pacific at times, and some of the older aircraft. And you were paying five, ten times more what you're doing now, and you'd have mechanical issues, and aircraft were being lost. And the price that you're paying to go halfway around the world with these technology, the, the technology that's keeping us in the air, it's it's like some days I think people just need to realise they should be getting down and worshipping these aircraft because mm. it's it's amazing what we can do now, and people are taking it for granted, and they're bitching and moaning about that extra hundred dollars where. And not that long ago, they would have been paying 10 times as much. Okay, sticking with Qantas after a fashion grant and uh, our last news story for this episode. A couple of articles that we found. Uh, this one we'll, I'll read from here is from the New Zealand Herald.co.nz saying uh, Australian Union seeks more for Qantas Kiwi pilots. And uh, Grant, we're talking here about uh, Qantas Jet Connect over there in New Zealand. It says here that the Australian Pilot Union is taking legal action in a bid to secure better paying conditions for New Zealand-based pilots working for Qantas subsidiary Jet Connect. Uh, it goes on to say here that uh, those pilots are paid 40% less than 
than their Australian counterparts. That's unbelievable. These are Kiwi pilots based out of New Zealand flying uh, 737s for Jet Connect on behalf of Qantas. The Australian Pilots Union is uh, upset that these Qantas flights being flown by Qantas-badged aircraft that anyone around thinks is Qantas uh, are actually being flown by pilots that aren't Qantas pilots and are being paid way less, not getting superannuation, all this kind of stuff. And they're saying, oh, our poor brothers, we want to bring it up for them. Um, I'm a cynical bum. I'm like, yeah, I thought it was more like they want to say, hey, that should be our pilots flying that. Qantas is uh, in yet another step of their jet starization without being jet starizing are um, looking for whatever way they can to cut the bottom line so that they can uh, survive on an unprofitable route with uh, without hemorrhaging too much cash if at all maybe even making a profit so they're using cheaper resources to do it is what's what's the upshot and so that's really annoying a heck of a lot of people uh, very likely the Jet Connect pilots too are a little upset. They'd love to be making more. Uh, most of us do. But because they're out of New Zealand, they're paid on a whole different rate and it's a whole different environment. And, uh, yeah, guess what? That's what Qantas is doing. The union's also saying here, Grant, that uh, Jet Connect pilots miss out on superannuation. Now, I yep. don't know what the superannuation laws would be over in New Zealand. Uh, superannuation for our uh, US listeners, I don't think they call it that over there, do they? But that's basically, uh, I think you call it a 401k. It's like a uh, retirement fund that you, uh, you're, well, in our case, our employer, I think they have to put in 9%. Yes, right? it was 8%. It's now up to 9%. You can put in your own additional voluntary contributions. Uh, but, yes, the employer must put in um, eight, 9% of your gross of, of your salary package into the uh, nominated superannuation account and uh, as you change employers you can you're allowed to say here's my superannuation account just put it into that it's not your own account it's actually run through another company through a superannuation company so it, it reduces the odds that uh, you're going to have the situation where a company goes under and um, well as we see in the US all the time where suddenly your superannuation fund is used to bail out a company. You don't have that because that money has gone to a whole different organization that the company has no more access to. But in this case, the Kiwi pilots aren't even getting that or if they are, they're getting way less than the Australian pilots do. So again, it's it's Qantas looking for ways to um, find cheaper resources and it's the union in Australia saying, this is not fair, that you should be using our pilots to fly a Qantas flight. The, the unions are upset with Qantas because they're pushing everything to the Jetstar model and the Jetstar model has completely different conditions and the unions have way less power over over Qantas in that environment and of course it's the same with Jet Connect here but if it's a Qantas flown aircraft they have to use Qantas pilots uh, with the full union package but because like Jetstar is not Qantas pilots it's not a Qantas aircraft it's not flown that way I think the Qantas link as well is a subsidiary but uh yeah, the upshot is that uh, tr- the union's trying to claim that because this is fully Qantas badged and is a Qantas aircraft doing a Qantas route, it should be flown by Qantas paid pilots. Yeah, the uh, Captain Richard Woodward, who's the head of the union, uh, now they've taken the uh, union to the uh, Fair Work Australia uh, Workplace Relations Tribunal. And uh, yeah, Captain Woodward says here that Qantas has chosen to set up a company in New Zealand paying wages that are below even the modern pilots award that the government recently established. Unsurprisingly, uh, Qantas um, has a different point of view on this. Their head of uh, government and corporate affairs, a gentleman by the name of David Epstein, uh, he's quoted here as saying, it's really quite simple. We have New Zealand's 
staff operating New Zealand originated aircraft operated by a New Zealand company on aircraft that are registered in New Zealand. Sounds like a lot of spin there, Grant. Uh, basically what that means is that uh, the trans-Tasman routes, which uh, they're saying here in this article a bit further down, are less profitable than some other routes that Qantas yep. operates. Uh, they're being operated by the uh, lower-paid pilots. Yep, and uh, you know, there is the argument to say, yep, okay, it's all Kiwi. Then badge it. Put a Kiwi logo on it. Do not put the Qantas mainstream logo on it. Do not say this is Qantas mainstream. You know, as far as the public's concerned, it's just like Jetstar Pacific all over again the, over in Vietnam. They see the Jetstar logo, they think, oh, it's Jetstar, it's Australian. The people flying the Tasman are on these aircraft run by Jet Connect. They're seeing it as Qantas. Woohoo, we're flying Qantas. Well, no, you're not. You're flying a wholly owned subsidiary, etc., etc. And so, yeah, the Qantas guy's fine in saying that it's a, it's a Kiwi aircraft, Kiwi this, Kiwi the other. Why does it have the Qantas badge on it? Why does it try? and look like a Qantas aircraft? Hmm, this is the question. Yeah, um, and of course, you know, we've seen the Qantas board of management, uh, you know, they obviously don't uh, apply this standard to themselves. I mean, they, they don't mind paying themselves huge amounts of money, and we've talked before about uh, Jeff Dixon's ridiculously large payout. They operate a little bit like the big banks here, don't they, Grant? Even though the banks are losing profitability in the, in the current environment, uh, the um, the CEOs and the, the top echelons of the banks are quite happy to pay themselves huge bonuses and all this sort of thing, and it seems to be the same here with Qantas. Well, you know, we can pay our staff, our pilots and, and ground staff, office staff, everybody else, you know, the lowest possible wage, but uh, they don't apply that standard to themselves, which is uh, a sad sign of the times, but I guess it's been going on for a long time, really. Yeah, and it's not just Qantas. It's in a lot of uh, Western world corporate environments. We're seeing it again and again, pandering to the um, to the shareholder and not thinking about the, the people on the ground and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's an endemic rot of what's going on around the world at the moment. We'll see what happens. Let's have a look at some figures here, mate. According to the union analysis of the uh, salary rates, a JetConnect first officer, and I guess we're talking here about a 737 first officer, Grant. Yeah, that's correct. They were flying 300s. They're now flying 400, 800 aircraft. Okay, so a JetConnect's first officer is paid uh, 63600-odd a year, mm-hmm. compared with a Qantas short-haul first officer's salary of 103300-odd. Mm-hmm. A JetConnect captain earns one hundred and six grand a year, compared with a Qantas short-haul captain on one sixty-one and a half. So there's a huge disparity there. Mm-hmm. Massive. Yep, and that's what Qantas is doing. It's it's like we've been saying, another step in the Qantas, a Jetstar-based company. Okay, Grant, well, that just about wraps up the news for this episode. Now, we're going to uh, cut now to the interview that we did with Michael Gilmore from downwind.com.au. Uh, downwind.com.au is a Australian-based uh, pilots forum. It's actually a bit more than just a forum. The forum is a part of the website. It is a bit of a pilot's information social hub kind of environment as well. You've got a lot of things on here. There's uh, the aviation directories, airfields, uh, information about places you can go for flyaways. Uh, they're setting up a wiki. There's a marketplace. There's all sorts of things happening on the site. It's targeting Australia, New Zealand area. It's I've found it to be a pretty cool site. The forum's starting to grow. Uh, Michael's doing some really good things with it and has some great ideas. Um, he's also a firm believer in the idea of uh, do a little bit and see what people do with it, uh, see what people are wanting, uh, do a little bit more towards that way, let them build on it. And he's allowing the community to help direct it as well as providing the content. So it's really great seeing it grow and develop. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy we managed to get Michael on for a chat.
Okay, folks. Now, as you well know, we're all based here in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, we'd like to promote all things uh, local with regard to aviation and online. Many of you who participate in the online aviation community in Australia would be familiar with a pilot's resource website called downwind.com.au. The uh, creator of downwind.com.au is Michael Gilmore, and he joins us on the line this evening. G'day, Michael. G'day. How are you going, you guys? Great, mate. Great. Thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, it's nice to meet you, and uh, we thought we'd have a bit of a chat about what Downwind does and a bit of a chat about yourself. Sure thing. No problem. Michael, you're a pilot. You've got the disease. When did you first know you were hooked? I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I found some money. It was I actually was born in Australia, but I grew up in Canada. I found some money on the ground, and I went and spent the money on a a phantom model aircraft and uh, put it together. I was was about probably six years old and I'd always had the desire from then on like just to get up in the air. But uh, it was only uh, a couple of years ago where uh, my wife went along and gave me um, a Microsoft Flight Simulator for Christmas and mm-hmm. I've never been so frustrated in my life. <laughs> sitting there at my computer, flying away, and all I wanted to do was be in the air. And so um, she said to me, said, look, you need to get away from these computers all the time. You know, you're staring at them 18 hours a day, and you go along playing them for another six. And so she said, go down to, Mar- to Moravan Airport and um, see what it's like having a, a, a t- Tesla. And uh, it was... Uh, a incredibly memorable experience. Um, I got a bit of a shock when the the guy I was in the the plane with the instructor said, "Okay, um, you're taking off." Um, and, and I, I remember trying to keep the, the steward plane going down the center line. Do you think I could do it? There's no yeah, way. Nobody can the first time. The seat. <laughs> yeah, nobody yes. can manage it the first time. I remember struggling with that myself uh, way, way back. Yeah, and all, if I look back now, and all it takes is just a little bit of foot on the on the rudder. You know, that's all it takes, and off you go, and, you, and you're dead straight. But, of course, I think the, uh, the, the instructor's, must have a, a bit of a fun time just watching um, these newbies sort of skate all over the place. <laughs> well, anyone who's seen me drive knows that I have enough fun keeping my car straight, let alone the aircraft when I'm flying. <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I've always had the I've always had the bug, but I've I've only um, it was only about um, eighteen months ago that uh, I got my PPL, and uh, I, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. I, I don't get up enough. And uh, do you fly with any particular operator down there at uh, Moorabbin, or do you just sort of shop around? Yeah, yeah no, I, um, I, I, I went from uh, one particular flying school, um, and uh, I, I won't name them. I started off with them, and I found that I could, uh, I could never go solo, like because they, um, they never had time and all that sort of stuff. Maybe they had all these other students. I don't know. And then uh, in the end, the instructor I had was, was a really good guy. Um, he left to do do twin work and so I had this other guy he said okay let's jump in the plane and I said hey we got to do our checks first don't we and he said don't worry about that the plane's me up today this is let's get going and I looked at him and I said mate I've got three kids I got a beautiful wife and there's not a chance I'm going to get into a plane unless I've done a check (laughs) and he wasn't too happy with that so we did a few circuits and all that sort of stuff did a full stop and I got out of the plane and I thought I wonder what else he isn't telling me and that sort of stuff. So I thought, no, forget that. I'm out of here. So I went to Royal Vic then. And I had a fantastic instructor. He was an Italian guy. Um, and he's still down there. He's a brilliant instructor. It wouldn't uh, happen to be uh, Nick, would it? No, no, no. It's Davide. Okay. No, I, a friend of mine, Nick, is um, ex-Italian um, military. He's been in and out at uh, Royal Vic. Does a lot of the aerobatics 
construction in the Alpha. Oh, okay. Anyway, David, he, he was outstanding, and um, I went and saw those bits straight away with them, and uh, just went on from there. And they're some of the most enjoyable hours of my life sitting in the aircraft, you know, with him and having him instruct me and everything like that. So I speak very highly of the guys at Royal Vic. But um, then, I, then I, um, one of the things I found when I finally got my PPL was my very first sort of solo nav. I jumped in a plane and I had my wife and one of my daughters with me. We planned to go down the Great Ocean Road to Portland. And the planes that I could hire, say, at Royal Vic, they're all really old. And I got used to them and I knew they were maintained well and all that sort of stuff, but passengers don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they, they look at a crack dash and they look at a bit of gaffer tape holding something together and the seat's falling a bit and all that sort of stuff. And they sort of freak out, to be quite blunt with you. Um, and that caused me to look around for other opportunities. And that, that's when I came across MFS, um, Ram Flying Services. And I got to yep. know the owner down there, Andrew, really well. And he's a fantastic guy. And every one of their planes are new. Yeah, they're all new 172s of oh, glass, aren't glass they? cockpit, yeah. No, Warriors. Warriors and Archers. Oh. Okay, I thought they had 172s as well. No, that's Oxford. Oh, right. Oops. I hired the majority of my aircraft um, out of uh, out of MFS because you climb on board, and I think one of the important things as a pilot I discovered is it's not just flying the aircraft, it's making sure your passengers feel comfortable. So uh, my wife and I, we hired a, um, I had my PPL for a few months, and we, we hired an archer from MFS with the glass cockpit and everything. And uh, we flew to the Gold Coast and back. Cool. Lovely. And that was just, that was fantastic. Um, absolutely loved every minute of that flight. And it was just, um, we had everything. We had weather, we had um, dodging dodging storms. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were paying attention to the, what was going on with the weather and everything, the forecast, going up through all the controlled air spaces and everything. It was the best experience. All the time being paranoid about being safe, and you, we're, in a, we're in a fantastic aircraft. Yeah, you know? like you jump into that aircraft, and it's even got air conditioning for heaven's sakes, which is really nice on the Gold Coast. <laughs> oh, yeah. very handy. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I hire great majority of my aircraft out of MFS simply because they're new. You pay a little bit more for them, but and I know they're absolutely paranoid about looking after them. Yeah, yeah. I've flown a couple of their aircraft; they're beautiful. In fact, they're about to buy get another couple of a couple of brand new planes. They've just got a couple of brand new ones, and wow. they've got two more. That's awesome. And I, and I think that what happens is is that the PPL market out there is really not being catered to by a lot of the um, flying schools, and but MFS because they do the investment, um, they've really tapped into a latent market. Yeah, Joel Haskey was talking to us about that when we interviewed him a few episodes back about, uh, you know, don't go into a price war and race to the bottom. You you target the, the right niche market and you have good instructors who are doing it for because they want to do it, not just because they're building hours. You have the good equipment yep. and uh, you target because, you know, it's, it's like the classic phrase, the person gets out of their BMW or Lexus and doesn't want to get into a car, an aircraft that's almost as old as they are. That's exactly right. Well, or worse than that, you're at 4,500 feet and you sort of think, gee, I'm so glad I got the cheap version of the aircraft when the yeah. engine begins to fail. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's like you save yourself twenty bucks an hour or something like that. And in reality, you're probably not because the newer planes go a little bit faster. So you yeah. actually got to work out your your price 
per kilometer applies per nautical, nautical mile basically and yeah. you'll, you'll discover the new aircraft actually kill the old ones mm. yeah it's uh, the same kind of concept as being espoused by um, a gentleman in the US Bob Miller he has instructors who are very high quality again they're not just building hours they're there because they want to instruct and pass on and so on and you pay a premium but you get really good training and, and you come out the other end you've probably paid more than anyone else but the quality of graduate is much much higher and, and these are the things to look at I'm, I'm a big fan of assessing everything when you go to pay and not just price otherwise hell pay nothing and go fly on tiger when you go you know i'd rather pay a little bit extra and know i'm getting good service from a better airline i agree with you on that like um just in my ppl um, when i was doing it what i found was that i had a bunch of really young instructors like i'm yeah. 33 years old and i had these young instructors who were in their early 20s or something like that and even younger and look nothing against them right but um, then moving to uh, Royal Vic, and I had Davide, who's uh, uh, in his 40s and everything like that. We spoke at a different level. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I, I discovered there was a generation gap. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's also an attitude gap. Um, you know, you can get some 25-year-old instructors who love instructing, live for it. They're not trying to make time to disappear to a regional or a main mainstream. They're in it because they really enjoy passing it on and, and watching people get it. And their, their approach is quite different. It's, it's funny. The one thing that's not taught to instructors when you do your instructor course is how to instruct, how to be, how to deal with people, and, yeah. and things like that. It's sort of touched on, but it's not. It should be the one of the key parts of it. I completely agree with you. I was actually a professional seminar speaker for um, about eight years. I spent a huge amount of time learning how to develop the craft of speaking and instructing. Yeah. And it is, it is a skill. And you're right that because you've got your instructor rating doesn't necessarily mean you're a good instructor. But yeah, so anyway, the, the other thing, I guess when I reflect on my time uh, through my own training that I found immensely confusing was there was two things, and this leads into in some ways why I started downwind. Is the first one was I, I found it really confusing all the jargon, like PPL, CPL, uh, ATC, you name it. Like I've never seen. Like I'm in the computer industry, and I thought that had a lot of acronyms. <laughs> the aviation industry just leaves it for dead. It's a huge barrier to entry, I think, for people. And it's um, to overcome, in some ways, the fear of a different language. And, and I used to joke around. I said, look, I think that what the aviation industry has done is developed a royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. You've got to learn the royal language in order to be able to partake of the desserts yeah, of it. And, and it's, in some ways, it's, it's, uh, it's a real shame because ultimately, everyone should be able to fly. And it's a, it's a real shame that there are these significant learning barriers that are imposed. Um, well, it's the whole attitude in this country, isn't it? I mean, I, I did my flying training predominantly over in the United States, and the attitude from there is just radically different from yeah. here. Here, it's treated as a, a bit more of an, an elitist uh, oh, pastime, so. whereas over there, well, I wouldn't say everybody flies, but you know, it's it's not treated as such an elitist thing over there. At least that's not the way that I found it. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot friendlier. Like you've even got to go to, um, like you drive down. Like I, I spent. A lot of time in the U.S. I'm all back and forth there all the time with work reasons. But my wife and I and our kids, we took six months off. We travel all around the U.S. And you go past, you drive through a little town. You look on a hillside. It'll have the name of the town in huge, massive white letters on the side of the hill. 
And a lot of people would say, well, why do they have that? Isn't that nice? It's a nice little thing. But, but let's imagine you're navigating from the air. You can just read the town name. Yeah, you read yeah. it off the water tower yeah, or something. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. yeah, off the water tower, like Steve just said. That was yeah. another classic. You'd fly along and you'd be like, oh, look, it says, it says Bucketville on the water tower. Yay. It's exactly right. Like, it's just so much friendlier for pilots uh, versus, oh, no, I don't know what town that is. Let me go along and get out my map and work out where that lake is, which is now dried up. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. Forest, it was oh, it's been cut down for pasture land, and and try to work out where I am. And it's uh, thank goodness for GPSs, but they gee, they get wrong too. Oh yeah, yeah. I always think GPSs only should confirm your position that you already know, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, they're a backup. They're fun. They're cool. They're a backup when you get in trouble, but you should always do Absolutely. pilotage. But yeah, you're right. Like um, it seems to be a lot friendlier place. And I, and I had a um, a theory that. I think one of the problems that the aviation industry has in Australia, and that's the reason why many of the airports are getting closed down and stuff, is that we're not friendly to the people around them. You may say, well, hang on, we were there first. Look, you can say that to the cows go home, but you know what? They'll just vote and they'll suddenly find another airport disappears. Be friendlier. Like, have a, uh, a day, one day a year around your airport, which is free flying. You can yeah, come yeah. over here and we'll take you out for a flight and you can experience the joys and the wonder of flying. Um, I think that would change a lot of people's attitudes. Yeah. Like, it costs 10 grand for everyone to be able to do it and fuel and all that sort of stuff. But let me tell you, you're better than losing your airport. Yeah. 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 The, the only problem with that, though, is you've just got to check your legalities and, and the, all the AOCs and CASA and insurance and that's another thing that's causing problems is that there's more and more paperwork all the time and more and more hoops to jump through and too many people are going too hard both for doing those events and all of starting flying in the in the first place well you you did write that in fact i just wrote an article which will be for aviator magazine on that very issue and i said it's a title is too safe to fly it was about ultimately the safest way it's the safest skies as if no one's flying yeah. Um, and then all the powers that be and all that sort of stuff can say, get their PowerPoint charts out and all that sort of stuff and say, guess what? We have 100% safety now. Just because no one's flying doesn't mean anything, but we are 100% safe. Like, and I think an enormous amount of time, energy, and expense is spent trying to improve widget number 23 in SPA number four yep. from failing. And we better track all those little tiny bits and pieces and all that sort of stuff. And so there's a huge expense is imposted onto the industry in doing all that. And there's a whole industry around that. And ultimately, that only causes failure. Mechanical reasons uh, for failure only cause small portions of accidents. The thing that causes the great majority of accidents is lack of experience with the pilot. Yeah, and lack of recurrent. Yeah, like they're not current. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to make the sky safer, then make it cheaper so that people can mm-hmm. fly more. Oh, didn't they call that RAOs? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the thing, the, the, the big debate in the U.S. about user fees and, and, and all this sort of stuff in the U.S., it's phenomenally expensive to fly here. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine, actually he's an instructor at MFS, uh, a guy that I work with. He's saying to shoot the ILS over at Avalon costs, I think it's $113. Just that's correct. It's ridiculous. Not even to touch yep. the ground, just to shoot the ILS. What a joke. Yeah, well, you know, you're wearing out the electrons, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I've I've shot the I've shot the virtually the Tacan approach at Little Rock Air Force Base, <laughs> with permission, of course. Didn't cost me a zack. Yeah, it's it's a very different mentality. It's it's a mentality seen that 
that flying is not just a joy and a pleasure, it's an essential infrastructure, uh, I think, in the U.S. Compared to here, it's seen, as, as we've been discussing, as more of an elitist type um, sport as such. Um, and that you've got to you've got to be pretty pretty rich to do it. And to be quite blunt with you, they're right. You do have to be fairly well off to be able to fly. Yeah, or, uh, or made or have made some sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, or have made some supreme sacrifices, which is which I think is a real shame because ultimately I think everyone should have the opportunity to fly. Yep. That's so right. I, I think it's, it's it's an interesting it's a whole interesting mindset which. In some ways, like people say, that's why RAOs exist and all that sort of stuff. That's true. But you know what? There's a lot of PPL pilots out there like me who would love to fly more and more and more and get safer and safer and safer in that process. But really, it's becoming prohibitively expensive. Yep. yep. Well, this happened. This happened to. And my story is probably similar to many people. I basically had, you know, and I got my commercial in the United States. Came back here. I couldn't afford to convert at the time, and in the end, um, I got pretty dark on the industry and walked away from it. I, I couldn't afford to keep doing it at that time, and it's, it's 15 years on. I regret that, but we had to do what you had to do at the time, and something had to give. And I, I couldn't afford to fly. Now, coming back into it now, where I'm, you know, I've got, I've got a, a, a job that pays well enough that I can look at it again. It's still almost prohibitively expensive. But uh, I tell you what that's something that we could talk about or not uh, we probably ought to talk a bit more about uh, the IT side of things Michael and um, downwind.com.au So where did Downwind come from? Well Downwind originally started when I just wanted to blog about my, my own experiences with flying and just share it with other people and so, so my wife and I we, we started doing it and uh, got a lot of positive feedback and in my, in the process of trying to find information out about flying things like that what I discovered was that the it's really difficult to, to find good quality information uh, on flying. I thought that's a bit bit sad. So I began building bit by bit so with my sort of IT background, and now Downwind has a lot of components to it and a lot of stuff in there from a full-on pilot community where people are uploading videos and uploading um, lots of photos of places they've been to and getting together as um, as groups of pilots and everything like that online um, to a full forum. I've run chat evenings uh, with different uh, notables in the industry. I've run, uh, I've developed a whole series of directories from, one of the things I found very frustrating was trying to find out who are the good companies and who are the bad companies in the industry. Every industry has good and bad. And I'm a firm believer that um, people vote with their feet, but it'd be nice to be able to see where they've been. And so one of the things I did was I said, well, look, I created the industry directory or the, for um, a, the aviation industry directory, and I've just expanded that quite a bit more, where anyone can put their company or businesses they've dealt business with or if they run their own in there, and other people can then review them. And so all those with the five stars or rating go to the top of the list, and uh, they would be reviewed by people and all those with no stars go down to the bottom of the list and I, I think that um, that sort of thing's good and in a similar fashion I set up I put every aircraft uh, VH registered aircraft in Australia in a database and where pilots can review aircraft they can write a, like a one sentence comment about it, like you had a great time flying from this place to this place this aircraft it's worth four stars so that if you're looking at hiring an aircraft or you're traveling somewhere and you think yeah I'd love to be able to go out for a flight then you can look online and sort of say okay um, what's an aircraft I can fly and uh, you can actually now in the community area do searches for people who've actually flown that aircraft and send them an email and say 
hey, what do you think? Was it a good aircraft or not? Hmm. Uh, am I risking my life? And the, the whole idea uh, of Downwind was really, and it began to sort of change across time from just my own blog as such uh, with my wife and I to providing systems to enable other people to write about their own experiences. So we there's about, I don't know, 30 or 40 other bloggers on, on Downwind right now who um, some of them have written from their very first flight right through they finally got their license and all the different stages in between to all sorts of incredible experiences. Yeah, so there's a lot in there. There's a marketplace where people can put up things for sale, which is uh, just just catch, beginning to catch on now, which is great. Um, so if you want to sell something, you think, gee, I've got a spare flight bag I really don't need or GPS, yeah, you sell it off, sell it off, just put it up. And uh, then Pilot Hotels came along because, once again, um, from my own experience, I, I want to go on a flyaway, and one of the most painful things to, to, to work out is where you're going to stay. It, it, it's absolutely painful. And so um, I thought, well, rather than try to manually search all these these sites and everything like that, I tapped into a network and set up Pilot Hotels so you can just say, hey, here, I want to fly to Echuca this date, this date, and it automatically searches 30 websites and say, here's the cheapest prices. And it just takes all the pain out of it. And um, it, 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 this comes down to a, a lot of the reasons why I set up things on Downwind was for my own benefit. What I've discovered is other people have found them useful too, which is good. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, there's all sorts of stuff in there. Like the, the other one is the airfield search, where I'm, we're slowly but surely adding every airfield in Australia to it, and it'll have things like um, what what phone number do you call for the taxi? Here's a Google map of the airfield, and uh, like a, from Google Earth, so it's like you flying over the top of it. So you say, oh, okay, I can orientate myself there. I can recognise it better. The whole goal is to help pilots out, and. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I found anyway, is that I found it's very useful. Um, and people are contributing all over to it, so I really, all power to the membership. And um, in some ways, I build things and then get out of the way as fast as I can and let the members run with it until they start complaining about something, saying, gee, I wish I had this mic, and I go, the four o'clock in the morning, I'm programming away, and they go, So there's well, a love the fun side of it. Look, I've found the best way to, to grow, get something to grow is to let people use it and to listen to what they're saying and facilitate and let it grow and happen and, and culture. So you're like the gardener, really. You know, you're you building the new pot, you're supplying a new pot and setting it all up and then watching what grows. That's exactly right. And one of the things that I'm a firm believer in is, is getting that feedback. And I'll quite often go into the forums and so say, Guys, I'm thinking of doing this, 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 and this. Which one really interests you the most? You've definitely got some feedback lately on a few of the ideas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's really good. Like, I, I, I was debating about setting up an area, which is, um, call it a premium area, where people can subscribe for a year or something like that, um, to that area. And one of the concerns I've had is, is that as downwind continues to grow, because it's growing massively at the moment, is the concern I had is you can sometimes get undesirables. Um, and the fastest way of getting people who just muck up the forums and the, the good discussions, the fastest way to get rid of them is to go along and put a charge on it. Yeah. 
Um, and, and and immediately it removes all those idiots out there. Okay, there, there is another uh, another system I've seen because you you can unfortunately when you put a charge is that you can sometimes yeah you get rid of a lot of the you get a lot of the spammers going and a lot of the, some of the idiots, but you can also lose some of the people who just can't afford it and things, especially given pilots are always perpetually poor, um, yeah. <laughs> especially when they're starting. Ultimately, what what I see is going to happen, um, I guess, with downwind is the community will end up voting yeah. um, in terms of the best direction to go and that sort of stuff. And that's why I willingly float ideas out there. Some of the other things is, uh, is trying to do some deals with um, some of the magazines and that sort of stuff, for instance, so that people can get a um, cheaper um, subscription prices and everything. Because there's yeah. a lot of people in Darwin now. So so there's lots of, lots of things I've thought about. I'm reticent to just say, let's put a charge on. I'm very reticent to do that. I'd much rather see if it can generate um, uh, funds in other ways because, to be quite blunt with you, I'd rather generate fund, all the funds I generate can then be poured back into it to make it even better. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that I ultimately want to do. It's, it's a very commendable goal, and that's definitely uh, the way I like to take things. Is I'm a big fan of Creative Commons licensing, things like that, So and, and community and building and facilitating and growing and things. So you can look at doing charge for premium content or charge for ad-free surfing or things like that, but uh, you, know, you still need to have that freebie access for the people who just can't afford it but really may have that great comment to put in. Well, my problem is, though, is that as an aviator, I, it, when the magazines I subscribe, to or the sites I go to, I find the ads as interesting as the articles. <laughs> so, like you end up reading the ads just as much. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I, and look, the jury's out on it all. Uh, at, the, at this stage, I just love working away at it. And one of my goals at the moment is to really open up the whole thing even more, so that people can tap into the databases that have been created and put them on their own website, so they can. Uh, put the aviation search up there, they can put the aircraft search engine, they can put the airfield search engine and all that sort of stuff, brand it all as their own, all that sort of thing. Um, and to enable them to be able to do that really simply and easily, um, which sounds counterintuitive for what most websites would do, but my, my reaction is, look, I, I really, my goal is to uh, to open everything up and uh, so charging things like that actually goes against the grain with me. Yep. Um, so I prefer to um, let people have fun build the framework and let them build the content yeah exactly but I must admit like we my wife she spends quite a lot of time on it now um, putting together newsletters we plan doing a weekly newsletter now um, and we're doing a Friday video uh, which right. is say YouTube or something like that of some interesting stuff although we couldn't resist putting the 787 Dreamliner up today that's a worthy one another goal I'm looking at building is a whole um, aviation shopping mall where anyone who has a product to sell can just put it up in the shopping mall and they'll have their own they don't have to worry about the shopping cart systems all that sort of stuff it's all taken care of yeah. and so they can just put up their own, their own stuff for sale and away they go and um because I, the thing I've seen in Australia is the price of aviation gear is ridiculous. And it borders on the criminal, in fact. <laughs> um, like, uh, for instance, I, I have a, Bose, a set of Bose headphones. Now, I went online and uh, on eBay, and I bought them on eBay for like 700 bucks, brand new. Nice. And it, it, you pick them, like, they cost me like $1,500 here. Yeah. Um, or you pick them up in the U.S. or something like that for a fraction of the 1500 bucks. So everything's much, much cheaper. And I know guys now who are looking at getting 
container loads of stuff to bypass the whole Australian industry. So I think of set up a shopping mall where people can then put their stuff for sale. If you've got something for sale, put it up there. In your uh, pilot community tab there, Michael, uh, we have a uh, pilot chat section. where I'm we can... sitting on it right now. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we can recommend a couple of really good participants there, Grant. Uh, Falcon124 and Ozfly, for instance. Oh, that'll be us. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. them, yes. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Now, we've had a few people that have written to our website in the past and have uh, run by the idea of us of running a forum of our own, uh, much in the way that they do on uncontrolled airspace. Michael, but we were thinking perhaps uh, we would uh, link ourselves up with your site in some way. No, absolutely. More than happy to help you guys out, and we can create a whole area for you. Cool. So you can have your own, um, you know, basically whatever you want, and I can put it in there and um, and open up downwind to you guys, and let's um, see if we can let a lot more people know about what you're doing. Cool, yep. the PCDU sand pit. Woo-hoo-hoo. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we think that'd be a really good way to go. It'd be somewhere for our, uh, at the moment, rather small community could uh, participate with your much larger yeah. community and we can, uh, you know, have a, have a good forum going and drive traffic to each other, which uh, would work really well for all of us. But it's, uh, you know, the aim of what we're doing here is to, you know, promote Australian aviation, uh, yeah. uh, not only amongst other Australians, but also to uh, people outside of this country. And, and of course, you know, in New Zealand as well and, and, and everywhere within the region so uh, we think that this would be a really good way to go and uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, setting a forum up on damwind.com.au and folks uh, will have some more information on that in a few episodes from now. Absolutely love, love to do it for you guys and let's let's see if we can get something off the ground and let me know what else you, what else you need and I can put it together for you pretty fast. Cool it sounds like it's going to be something that you and I are going to work on there Michael because uh, me doing the geek stuff here for PCDU and you doing it there for Downwind I'm sure we can do a geek to geek session. <laughs> That sounds good. <laughs> Excellent, mate. Once again, folks, the website is www.downwind.com.au. If you haven't already checked out that website, if you're an Aussie pilot, uh, I'd be kind of surprised if you haven't. But if you haven't, check it out. There's a heap of stuff on there uh, that you can have a look at that's uh, all very interesting and, uh, yeah, really engage in the aviation community. It's the best way that we can all get together and promote what it is that we do for business, for fun. Yep. And, uh, yeah, this is this is an excellent way to do it. So uh, downwind.com.au. Michael Gilmore. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast this evening. Thanks, Michael. It's been great. Yeah, thanks very much, you guys. I really enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. Well, heck. We've been asked to say something good about the podcast down under. Does anybody have anything? No, let's talk about our own podcast instead. You mean the Airplane Geeks? The Airplane Geeks podcast. You mean the, us? The people that taught the people down under how to do it. You mean the people who speak normally? That's right. And where can people find the Airplane Geeks podcast? Airplane that would be www.airplanegeeks.com. Dot com. And we know how to take care of our friends. We don't let people train us and then just kind of try to one-up them with a better podcast. We don't That's do right. that. No. We're staying at our mediocre level. That's where right. We, belong. we know our place in the world. <laughs> Long live mediocrity. That's right. Well, howdy. I'm baggage handler Chuck Armstrong from JuniorFly.com. When I'm not sending your luggage donation to Siberia, I'm listening to Stephen Grant from Plain Crazy Down Under. I know they could use a donation. I think I'll send them your bags. 
Here at Plain Crazy Down Under, we rely on the generous support of our listening audience. If you like what we do, if you enjoy our weekly attempts at infotainment, then please visit www.plaincrazydownunder.com and click on the button marked Donate. Donations of any size are very much appreciated. Thanks, folks. Okay, Grant, so yeah, that was a pretty uh, fascinating interview there with uh, Michael Gilmore, and uh, we said we'd uh, talk about the forum a few episodes from now, but uh, it's actually been about three days since we recorded that interview as we were recording this bit of the show, so uh, why don't we uh, tell the folks what we've got planned? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's already up and running. There's a Playing Crazy Down Under forum on the downwind.com.au site. It's right down towards the end on the uh, main page of the forums, so uh, from the site you go to Pilot Community, down to Pilot Forum, and and uh, right at the very bottom, you'll find under the, uh, the special interest section, you're going to find a plain crazy down under section. So uh, you can pop in there and Steve and I are the uh, moderators. Yeah, you'll be able to hop in there and start topics on different episodes or different subjects related to the podcast. Uh, of course, you're going to need to sign up and become a member of the site, but that's great because it gives you access to the rest of the forum where you can discuss other things that may come up and spin off from the uh, from the show itself. As was alluded to during the discussion, there's going to be a lot more coming in the new year, but uh, we're starting off just with a section on the forum. Yeah, a number of listeners, Grant, have uh, you know, gotten onto us about this and when are you going to set up a forum uh, you know, in, in the vein of the way they do it over there at UCAP. But we thought this would be a better way to go for us. That way we can sort of have our community merge a little bit with uh, Michael's community and you know, we can get some, you know, hopefully get some uh, more people becoming aware of our show here and that's good for us and uh, you know, getting some of our listeners uh, across to look at his website and participate there so a good thing all around I mean that's the whole point of of what we're doing here is to you know to promote the Australian aviation community and we think this is the best way to go about doing that so uh, yeah we're really excited about being on uh, downwind.com.au and we we really hope folks that you'll get over there start any topic you like Um, you know where did Steve get it wrong how many ums and ahs did he put in this week how many times (laughs) did he say well you know um. (laughs) (laughs) as per episode 21 where you were really about everything yeah that's exactly (laughs) right yeah but yeah, like I can't, I can't talk. I, I have my own uh, foibles on here, like almost everything I say. But uh, yeah, just generally you can hop on and uh, there'll be save the playing crazy down under section for topics related to the podcast. Use the rest of the forum for other issues. There's a pilot section, like pilot experiences, training, interviews and jobs, functions, events, flyaways. There's a general conversation section, of course, and training education, CASA airports and authorities. There's all sorts of good stuff on the site. And that's just in the forum, let alone all the rest of the site. So uh, yeah, please do come along. Join up with downwind.com.au and uh, come on in and uh, have a comment in our section as well and uh, we'll pretty soon have a uh, button on our website or a link or something that we that we can just click straight from our website and head straight over there so that'll make it nice and easy for you i'm seriously considering uh, if as this starts to to get some momentum behind it uh shutting down the comments on our site and redirecting everyone across to uh to the forums yeah, now just in a similar vein, Grant, uh, before we uh, embarked on this little project with downwind.com.au, I'd actually started a discussion over on our Facebook page. If you uh, There's 53 of you that are on the Facebook fan page and we're glad to have you there. Uh, if you click on the tab there for discussions, there's actually a, a discussion thread that I've got uh, running there, which, uh, well, 
while I'm the only one that's posted on it so far, but we'd, I'd certainly like your input on this. Uh, the first one I've put in there is covering the topic of advertising versus donations. Now, um, we are always looking for donations, of course, and we really appreciate uh, those of you who have uh, seen your way clear to provide us with a little bit of money just to offset our costs here. Uh, we are looking at other ways to, to cover our costs. Grant and I do this as a hobby, but, uh, you know, any way that we can offset some of our costs, you know, it's, it's not hugely expensive to make this podcast, but, uh, you know, when we're making Skype out calls, they can be quite expensive when we're talking to people on the other side of the planet, particularly getting around, um, you know, for the price of fuel, you know, that's quite expensive. So, you know, we are looking for ways. I don't feel particularly comfortable with begging our audience for money. I mean, you know, it's it's quite humbling that you take the time to listen to us, quite frankly. And, you know, yeah, you're masochists. Yeah, I don't really feel that comfortable uh, constantly plugging for donations. So we're looking at perhaps trying to get some, some paying advertisers on the show maybe next year, but I'd really like your thoughts on that. Now, we have been running some ads for audiovisual media and for flight experience, of course. Uh, those ads, uh, you know, and a couple of people have actually asked me this, you know, why should we uh, give you donations if, uh, you know, you're, you're running advertising as well? Well, those two ads have been put in there for two reasons. A, we want it to sound a bit more radio show-like, uh, and I like the way it sounds with those professionally produced commercials, but they've also been done on a bartering basis. They actually haven't made us any money at all. Dominic at Audiovisual Media has been very generous in donating his time, a lot of his time here to help me set up my little uh, podcasting studio here, so I thought the least that I can do is uh, run a little promotion for him. And uh, also, Carlo over there at uh, Flight Experience has uh, done the same, hasn't he, Grant? He's uh, been quite helpful yep. to us and giving us access to the simulator and letting us uh, harangue his staff to do interviews with and all this sort of thing. <laughs> and yeah, so no. in a similar vein, like, yeah, we, we, we're doing this on a... We've done those two ads on a barter basis, but uh, my plan, hopefully, will be to maybe get a few uh, paying advertisers on next year. Please uh, have a look on there or, you know, just send us an email or, or you know, give us a quick note on Twitter, whatever you like. But there is a discussion that I've started over there on the Facebook page. So, uh, yeah, let me know what you think, folks. I'd really be interested in your views. Okay, Grant, so now we're coming up to the, uh, the housekeeping part of the podcast as it is the end of the year this will in all likelihood be the uh, last uh, episode that we produced for 2009 so uh, you know in that vein I think oh hang on a minute I can hear somebody coming oh Struth that posty strike must be over my god neither rain, hail, sleet, shine extremely warm nights or posty strikes are stopping our boy bringing through the mail <laughs> absolutely planecrazydownunder at gmail.com folks is our email address and we love getting uh, listener mail we've got one here from Gary this week and he actually sent this in via our YouTube channel it's made its way across there now Gary uh, is over in the USA somewhere we're not exactly sure where but he asked a question uh, or the heading of the email he sent here is what was that plane he says here in the podcast interview with the pilot of the Vickers Vimy now that was episode 14 yep. he mentioned uh, another plane that he flew to Australia it sounded like an Avro Navion can you tell me what, it, what that other plane was he says he's been listening to our podcast and find them quite interesting and he liked the uh, Vickers Vimy pilot story and he thinks that's the best one so far so that's great uh, it makes me want to get back on flight simulator 2004 and fly the Vimy myself well, there you go mate so uh, Grant I'm uh, I'm assuming that you can provide us with the uh, the answer we need in this case yeah Gary was really close there he said an Avro Navion uh, no not quite it's an Avro Avian uh, A-V-I-A-N that's Alpha Victor India Alpha November the Avro Avian uh, you can look that one up on Wikipedia uh, it was the aircraft that Bert Hinkler flew solo from the UK to Australia 
And uh, that was actually the uh, first time anyone had flown solo from the UK to Australia. Yeah, so there you go, uh, Gary. And uh, thanks very much for writing in. Perhaps uh, if you could just drop us a line again and tell us uh, where in the United States that you're uh, listening to us from. Uh, it's always really cool to know that we're, we're getting out there, Grant, to not only Australian and New Zealand pilots, but uh, pilots all around the world. He says here he wants to fly uh, the Vimy on uh, Flight Simulator 2004. How are you with Flight Simulator, Grant? I find that uh, without the sensory inputs there that uh, you know you get when you're flying a real aircraft, I fly in Flight Simulator very, very difficult to fly. Yeah, it's not my favourite thing, honestly. Uh, I have used it a little bit as a procedures trainer and I have a number of friends who use their flight simulators solely as procedures trainers uh, so that they can uh, replicate the flight they're going to be doing uh, so that they can practice shooting VORs, shooting ILSs, things like that so that the mental calculations and the awareness of what the needle should be doing is there and then they, uh, when they come to actually fly it, it's almost second nature to be able to shoot a VOR to do the calculations, to think what's got to be done and to fly the needles. The indications are in the industry that if you can fly a uh, simulator very well, then you can fly an aircraft very well because uh, the simulator is a little bit more demanding in some ways of your precision. I don't know. I, I find them. You know, I even bought a uh, joystick with uh, force feedback in it to uh, try and improve my skills on Flight Simulator. Uh, yeah, to no avail. I think I just need to be flying the real thing, and uh, that's all there is to it. Yeah, well, that was something Carlo and I did a very long time ago because he was always flying his Flight Simulator all the time at home, and I was trying to get myself into the real thing and flying little aircraft around. And the two of us shot over to Adelaide and uh, jumped in a full motion 737 simulator, and we spent a couple of hours each as pilot and uh, co-pilot and flew the beastie around the place with an instructor and the idea was to see who was going to be the better pilot the person who's actually flown and had movement while they're flying uh, even though I'd only ever flown light aircraft and gliders at the time or the person who flies a 737 and higher all the time but you know sitting at their desk with a small screen and the fun part was we were both pretty even uh, he was better at some parts I was better at others uh, we both uh, had some complete disasters when we were pl- flying the ILS and we both had a couple of really really good landings flying the ILS so it was all a lot of fun doing it so uh, yeah that's the uh, the only email that we had uh, come in uh, this week Grant uh, we have been yeah. getting a lot of traffic on Twitter however and one of our uh, one of our biggest fans on Twitter is uh, David Optimal up there in Sydney so uh, yeah we like to mention David because He's always retweeting all our tweets and uh, helping to promote the show. So, uh, David, keep up the great work, mate, and uh, uh, keep up the, uh, the flying training. We're uh, actually following your progress there on your website and, and on your Twitter uh, stream. And, uh, boy, I, I envy you. And, I, I you know, <laughs> I, I wish I could get a few years back, Grant, and go back and do what David's doing with all that pilot training. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Well, he's now fully uh, – he's got his instrument ticket. So that's great. Congratulations, dude, for that. And, uh, yeah, there are a number of other people out there who uh, on, on Twitter who uh, – taking our comments and giving us some information and feedback and marty thank you for yours we really appreciate everyone's comments uh so keep it up folks it's great to know that people are listening and uh, that they're not getting their pitchforks and torches ready to come and storm the palace so to speak they're actually enjoying it i tell you that freaks me every time okay grant so uh yeah just as we wrap up for the year we'll just uh mention a few things of course it's christmas here in australia so what happens at christmas everybody goes on strike indeed they certainly do we've had uh not just here in australia we've had the uh british airways cabin crew have threatened to go on strike we currently have some Qantas uh maintenance engineers going on strike uh there's also some security screeners likely to be going on strike 
It's not Christmas without a few strikes. Honestly, it's a great way to get attention, but I find strikes like this, when they inconvenience people so much at a critical time like this, no one wins. The, the poor buggers on the end who uh, the passengers wind up hating everyone equally. So, yeah, it's Christmas. It's strike time. But, hey, ho, ho, ho. Okay, mate. Well, that wraps it up for uh, 2009, our first year. Well, I guess our first six months of playing Crazy Down Underground. And uh, before we finish, we've got a lot of uh, thank yous that we'd like to do. And uh, the first uh, bunch of thank yous that I'd really like to do as we wrap up the year is to the aviation podcasting community. Now, this podcast is a product of a chance meeting of two participants in the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast forums. Those two people, Grant and myself, met through the forums. Uh, Actually, I think I was rather cheesed off at Grant for getting mentioned on... (laughs) Uncontrolled airspace for being at uh, Avalon Air Show while um, wearing a um, airspeed shirt. Yeah, yes. that's right. After I'd sent them in some emails that they hadn't read, but uh, now doing my own podcast and uh, seeing what uh, what it takes to make one, I uh, totally understand that. But uh, yeah, so Grant and I uh, from that chance meeting online ended up uh, meeting for a beer uh, one afternoon. I, I think it was in about April, wasn't it, Grant? Yeah, it was somewhere around then. It was down at Moorabbin Airport. Yeah, down at uh, the Royal Victorian Aero Club in the uh, in the bar there. So uh, and uh, originally um, we started off, or I started off uh, doing just some audio reports for the Airplane Geeks podcast, which they very quickly started calling the Australian News Desk and uh, if you don't listen to the Airplane Geeks podcast well you should damn straight yeah but uh, yeah Grant and I also appear on that show uh, every week and we do our Australia Desk report the Ausdesk started off as me only and then uh, during that time uh, not long after I started doing that it's about the time I met Grant and I just uh, sent him a quick email one day saying hey do you want to come on and record with me yeah because I was was sending emails into the guys I I wasn't brave enough to record my voice yeah so um, so we were doing that for a few weeks and but we were cutting so much content out of the australia desk and you know as, as each australia desk recording session came along we found we were getting more and more content that we were having to leave on the virtual cutting room floor and you know we just decided that uh you know we could just about make our own show out of this and from that came a plane crazy down under so to be honest with you none of that would have ever happened without first of all Jack Hodgson, uh, Jeb and Dave over there at the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast forum. So uh, if you want to talk about the power of uh, social media and new media, you know, this is this is what it's all about. Keep talking about it being a community. Uh, I think the guys over there are, are quite sort of bemused at the idea that uh, they've, they've got some rather enthusiastic followers over on this side of the planet. But uh, yeah, we really do uh, appreciate what they do. And uh, that's the first aviation podcast that I ever listened to. And yeah, it's one of the best. They talk about general aviation over there. Once again, if you haven't listened to that podcast, Podcast, well, uh, check it out, uncontrolledairspace.com. So this is this is the thing. I, uh, for me, the first ever um, podcasts, aviation podcasts I listened to were Pilot Cast and Joe Dion's Fly With Me, both of which pod faded. But I'm very very happy to say Pilot Cast and Fly With Me have both come back to life. Uh, the guys have started recording again, and um, in fact, I've, I'm just about to listen to the latest Pilot Cast episode, and I've been listening to the latest couple of uh, ones from Jody On. So I was listening to them at about probably a couple of months after starting with the, going through those ones. I discovered Uncontrolled Airspace, and uh, yeah, definitely all downhill from there, guys. Yeah. Okay, Grant. Uh, the next podcast we want to mention here is the Airspeed Podcast. Stephen Force, aka Steve Tupper. Uh, Steve, a huge thanks to you, mate, for for helping to promote the show in the early days. If you uh, had an occasion to hear the rather cheeky little promo we did for ourselves that got played at uh, Potterpalooza over there at Oshkosh this year, well, it was Steve Tupper that organised us uh, a spot there on that, and uh, Jack Hodgson was also uh, there promoting us, helping to promote our show. That was just the coolest thing. Talk about a thrill! I, I would never have thought. 
particularly at that point, Grant, where we'd only done two or three shows. Uh, yep. What a, what a thrill that was. So uh, to Steve Tupper, just a mighty effort, mate, legend, and we really do appreciate what you've done for us. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. The Pilot's Flight Podlog, Grant, do you want to have a talk about uh, Will and Dave over there? Yeah, uh, Pilot's Flight Podlog came around after Will Hawkins completed his uh, student pilot log where uh, he recorded everything he was doing while learning to fly. And once he had graduated, he uh, spun off a new concept, which was related to pretty much virtual hangar flying. Uh, Dave came along and joined in uh, a few episodes later. And the two of them basically are out there interviewing people. They get on and uh, on Skype and sit back with a tasty beverage and have a good chat about punching holes in the sky. So it's a, it's a great podcast. Uh, a lot of respect for the guys there. And uh, Will with his partner Rico, and they're, they're doing a, uh, a separate entity. They're uh, Wilco Films, and the two of them are partners in that, and they are producing A Pilot Story. If you go to apilotsstory.com, two S's, no apostrophes, then you'll see what it's going on about. It's uh, a movie about one of the common themes that binds all pilots and that's their first solo. Uh, that's the premise that it's based on but it, it um, it's really working on showing everyone out there that uh, flying is not just for specific elite people, it's for anyone. Uh, so yeah, really enjoy listening to the Pilot's Flight Podlog um, and also enjoy listening to other aviation podcasters have difficulty saying the name. I'd, I'd include myself in that one. Um, the next podcast I want to mention here is actually not an aviation one, but it's one that uh, I don't know that Grant listens to it, but I certainly do. I found myself listening more and more to podcasts which tell you how to make podcasts. And I'll tell you what, the actually Max Flight put me onto this guy. It's Cliff Ravenscraft over at the uh, podcast answerman.com. If you've been listening to what we're doing, folks, and you think, gee whiz, I wouldn't mind having a go at that myself, then that ought to be your first stop. Get over there, have a listen to Cliff. This is a man who gave away a six-figure salary selling insurance, I think, and uh, set up his own little mini Leo Laporte-style podcast uh, studio, podcast network. He's over in uh, Tennessee somewhere in the US. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to Cliff a few times, uh, and we've sent a lot of emails backwards and forwards. And uh, I know Cliff does this for a living. He has not charged me anything for the advice he's given me, which has been incredibly generous. Cliff, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the help you've given me and given to this podcast. Uh, It's been really cool from simple things like trying to work out how to set up my uh, mix minus which is uh you know it takes a little bit of a, a bit of time and any of you that are know anything about uh, setting up soundboards and all this sort of stuff you'll know what i'm talking about it's it's a little bit of a, a, a dark art it's it's quite uh, difficult to do uh, cliff was uh, very helpful in uh, suggesting uh, what type of microphone to use and just by listening to his podcasts and there's there's a couple of hundred of them i think of the podcast answer man show he covers every conceivable topic to do with uh, uh, recording uh, podcasts you know talking everything from sample rates and bit rates through to what type of microphone you should buy um, so yeah if you're thinking of doing your own aviation podcast or any podcast really get over there and, and Cliff's a great guy and um, he'll he'll bend over backwards to help you out he certainly has for us now Grant of course We've left the best for last, and those are our, our great friends across at the Airplane Geeks podcast. Let's talk about one member of the Airplane Geeks podcast that's uh, no longer on that show, but in fact is the guy that set it up in the first place, and that's uh, Mr. Courtney Miller. Now, Court, he's up there in Canada. He's in a job now that uh, sort of uh, prevents him from uh, participating in aviation podcasts. But, Court, we just wanted to uh, send a huge shout-out to you and uh, a huge thank you to you for all the help that you've given us and, and, and really for the for letting us uh, do the Australia Desk and let us get away with some of the stuff that we get away with on that show. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, thanks to court, we got to start it up and and uh, set the scene of what we're doing. And following court, getting it started, court of course uh, ran it with uh, with Max Max Flight. Uh, those two guys started it up when court had to transition to his new job and had to move on. Max recruited in Dan Webb and uh, Rob Mark from Jetwine.com. Uh, now also David Vanderhoof, who's our uh, air, the sorry, who's their aircraft historian and also code shares with us. He's he is now uh, filling in more often and appearing more often as a co-host. Uh, so yeah, the Airplane Geeks is a lot of fun, and like we said, it's our Ozdesk. We do that every week, and we really love it. It's a chance for us to be a little cheeky. It's a chance for us to try some creative fun and madness yeah and we get to experiment with a lot of more sound effects than we use on this podcast yeah so Courtney Miller to Max Flight the international man of podcast mystery the man we know as Max Flight gee whiz Max how much help have you given me uh, along the same lines as uh, Cliff Ravenscraft in you know answering all my questions we spent a fair bit of time uh, corresponding backwards and forwards and uh, doing Skype calls and whatever else just just talking about you know different technical aspects of of just how to get the best sound and, and the best production quality out of our show the same the same goes for uh, for Dan Webb and for Rob Mark and for David Vanderhoof. Now these are guys that we have never met in person, and and in fact I don't think any of them have actually ever met each other in person either. But we have all through social media and you know through doing these podcasts have all become really good friends. And if you want an example of that, just listen to episode seventy eight of the Airplane Geeks podcast where Grant and I called in live. Um, it's it's like we've known each other for years, and I can't tell you how much I look forward to getting together and chatting with you guys uh, on the rare occasions we get to do it you know what with the uh, vagaries of uh, the time difference and all the rest uh yeah i know we all sort of rib each other and pick each other on each other particularly rob who <laughs> poor old rob does tend to cop it a little bit but uh, you guys are great friends and i've really appreciated your friendship over these last months and and really seriously folks if you like playing crazy down under it's because of the airplane geeks that we exist so um uh, i know we harp on a bit about them but uh that's for good reason yeah we have an interesting heritage if you want to know who to blame there's the list uncontrolled airspace Airspeed, Airplane Geeks, Pilot's Flight Podlog, and uh, Podcast Answer Man to a degree. Okay, now we've had a number of really cool guests on the show this year. Uh, Top of the list has got to be Matt Hall. Uh, You know... When we first started the show, we thought we, we've got to go for we've got to start finding some some cool people to interview. So uh, Grant fired off a, an email to Matt Hall's publicist, and uh, we thought of thought, oh well, you know, no harm in asking. If you listen back to episode seven, wow, what a just what an amazing interview! I cannot tell you how nervous I was going into that interview. I'd never <laughs> done anything like that before, and uh, Matt is just such a natural talker, and he's just so at ease at telling you about his views on flying. He's telling you about his journey through aviation. He's uh, he's told us uh, some fascinating things about what it's like to fly fighter jets, F-18s, F-15s with the US Air Force. We've heard from him about his experiences in Iraq. We've heard from him a number of times about uh, his experiences in the Red Bull Air Race and and, and all these sorts of really cool things. And not only was it cool that he spoke to us the first time, but they rang us back about three weeks later and said, Matt, I'd like to come on again. And uh, we actually met Matt a few weeks ago up there at New Merca and uh, it's just the coolest thing. Of course, the other Red Bull Air Race pilot that we've interviewed this year has been Nigel Lamb and uh, that was a fantastic interview and really generous uh, with his time. Uh, they didn't have much time to speak to us the night that we uh, did that interview with them, but uh, I thought that was a fantastic interview and uh, Nigel was uh, really cool to do that extra soundbite for us. Owen's 
up. Well, Owen's up is a really interesting person, and we're really glad that he uh, could find a bit of time out of his busy schedule. You know, he does uh, fly around with one of the airlines here, and uh, you know, he's not always available to uh, spend time with a couple of blokes just doing a podcast. But the interview that we did with him, okay, the uh, sound quality wasn't the best, but gee, the content in it was fascinating. And I've had a lot of uh, a lot of people that I've spoken to have, have talked about just how much they enjoyed that interview with Owen. And uh, of course, we had the giveaway with him, so we've spoken to him a couple of times, and uh, we actually had a great time uh, making that little uh, that little advert that we did for him, didn't we, Grant? That was uh, <laughs> that was good. That was really cool. Uh, Baz Sheff is, of course, over there in Adelaide. Uh, we had hoped to have Baz on tonight, but as I said earlier, he's uh, not feeling the best. So uh, we're really hoping that uh, we can uh, go further with Baz next year and uh, do some more segments on recreational aviation. That's that's certainly a scene, an aviation scene in this country that I didn't know that much about. And uh, through meeting Baz, I've certainly been able to you know find out a lot more. And uh, I find that really interesting. So yeah, we're going to get Baz on a bit more uh, in the new year and, uh, and do a lot more of the aviation recreational aviation reports. Sarge Ahmed that we had on last week. What a fantastic interview that was. That, that's one of that's one of my favourites, uh, Grant, of all the interviews we've done so far. Uh, to the air traffic controllers, we've got Ben and Jeremy. Yes, the ice cream guys of the air traffic control. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, been the, the most we'll... rapidly down, downloaded episode. <laughs> I don't know how to put that. Yeah, it, it uh, was very quickly picked up. And, uh, of course, Ben and Jeremy going and seeding reference to it in uh, places around the net helped. But uh, that one's clocked well over 600 downloads. And uh, that's even edged out our first ever interview with Matt Hall. So uh, congratulations, guys. You are the one, the target to beat. Yep. And, of course, uh, we got uh, Mike Gilmore, of course, who you heard tonight. Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to uh, to a partnership with uh, Michael and with downwind.com.au. I'm really looking forward to that and having a forum there, and that's that's going to give us, uh, we, we think, the uh, the best opportunity to interact with uh, with you guys, the listening audience, uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. So we're really yep. looking forward to that, and we thank him for that. Yeah, it definitely saves us having to reinvent the wheel and put, I mean, it's pretty easy to put a forum thing on our site because of the tools that we've got through the people we uh we host with but uh you know you got to skin it you got to set it up you got to maintain it it's it's way easier for us to uh to work with uh michael we're not reinventing the wheel we're not separating and segregating the uh the community we're helping to build each other's community by joining it all together so yeah definitely very happy that that's a great solution for us i'm very happy with it david vanderhoof who produces our uh this week in australian aviation history uh has been a great contributor we're ecstatic to have him code sharing between the airplane geeks and our production so yeah David it's always great to receive some of your the efforts of some of your research so keep keep sending that to us mate We've had Lane Kidby, who uh, has reenacted a couple of famous flights, as we discussed earlier in the episode, uh, flying the Vimy from uh, the UK to Australia and flying the Avro Avian from the UK to Australia. We've had Joel Haskey, the Red Baron himself, from Sydney. Uh, he was on, and we had a great set of chats with him. Really enjoyed discussing uh, aerobatics and so on with him. As most of you may know, uh, I love aerobatics and life is better inverted. Uh, we've had Shashank Nigram from Simply Flying. He was on one of our early episodes, and I will give you a hint he is going to be coming back soon uh, yeah, so it'll be great to have another chat with him Carla Courtney was on she uh, runs the Qantas Travel Insider blog and uh, Carlo Santoro the owner of Flight Experience Melbourne 
the 737 flight simulator that we love to spend as much time in as our uh, schedules and pocketbooks will allow. And of course, Nick Brow, uh, one of our recent folks who was on briefly discussing with us what it's like to fly a hot air balloon over Melbourne, the city of Melbourne. And uh, just a quick heads up for you folks, uh, something coming in the new year, I'm going to try and do an audio adventure and jump on one of the balloons and go for a fly over the city and uh, let you come along by listening. So perhaps not quite the same as having the video, but we'll give it a whirl. Yep, and uh, while I'm being a bit self-indulgent here, I'll just uh, just say this. Uh, one more big thank you goes to my uh, to my brother Adam. Uh, Adam is probably going to become our official photographer now that he's got millions of dollars worth of fancy uh, photography <laughs> equipment. But uh, Adam, he works away in the background here. He listens to all the podcasts. Adam's not actually into flying, but he uh, he's been fantastically supportive of what we're doing here. He helped me with uh, with uh, getting my mixer into the house. He helped actually pay f- pay for half of that. And uh, mate, just legend. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the help that you've given to us adam listens to all our shows he gives me tips and you know or did you hear this little point or you know that maybe maybe you could improve this here or there or whatever it's it's first-hand feedback that that i really appreciate and um he's just been fantastic for us so uh yeah to my brother adam fantastic uh, he's also he's also taken some great photos of matt hall when we're up in shepparton uh, a couple of which have wound up on matt's fan page on uh, facebook Yep, um, and a couple more before I finish up here. The man that sits at the other end of this Skype link every week, Grant McCarran, mate. This has been a this has just been an absolute whirlwind ride. I, I can't tell you how much I I've been blown away by how well this podcast has gone. You know, I didn't I didn't know how long this would last when we started, but I got to tell you, your energy, your enthusiasm. <laughs> constantly thinking of, of new ideas and ways that we can take this this podcast uh, folks the idea of uh, when I suggested to Grant that we do this podcast uh, you know we sort of thought we'd, we'd split things 50-50 well the way this arrangement works is this I do the recording and the editing and Grant does everything else uh, yeah. Grant goes out and Grant runs the website for us he uh, takes care of our Twitter feed um, he takes care of well really all the tech side of, of what we do here and this show would not happen without you mate so it's you know and you and I had never met before about April of this year and, and we've become great friends out of this and uh, you know Grant and I don't actually see each other all that often it's just basically talking into a microphone each week backwards and forwards but uh, <laughs> and if oh, we played to you some we, we played to you some of the uh, the outtakes that make it onto the virtual cutting room floor you'd uh, <laughs> 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 it's, it's a scream but uh, mate it's, it's been a pleasure working with you this year and uh, we've got some some big plans for next year for uh, where we want to take this podcast oh and, yeah uh, definitely uh, thanks mate I'm blushing over here yeah well I, I mean that mate so and finally, I'd just like to thank every one of you that listens to this podcast. When we started this podcast, as I said before, we didn't. We sort of thought, oh, you know, if we get maybe fifty listeners, we'd be happy. Uh, you know, we, we're getting between three and five hundred listeners an episode. In fact, some of our episodes, as Grant said before, are notching up over six hundred downloads now. It's actually one of the points that uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man, makes. He, he actually says in a recent episode where people ring him up and say, you know, Cliff, I've only got eighty-five listeners. Uh, what can I do to increase my my listening audience? And he, he finds that really frustrating because you know he said if you got one person listening to you you should feel honored at that well you know that that so many of you take the time to uh, to listen to our show each week I, I just find that truly humbling uh in, in my personal life outside of this podcast this year has been a really tough year for me uh it's been a really stressful and oftentimes pretty sad uh year and i'm not going to elaborate too much on that but those of you who know me outside of this podcast would know what i'm talking about um the one real ray of light each week for me this year has been the time that i sit down and do these recording sessions
sessions to make this podcast. It, it's it's been the one thing that's really got me through this year, and and um, you you better believe I'll be doing it going into the new year. Um, Grant and I both work very hard to make this a quality podcast, and uh, it's 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 really humbling that uh, so many people are enjoying it. So well, that's it for me, Grant. Well, speaking of uh, quality, I've got to say a big chunk of the quality comes from Steve. Uh, I'm very much a hey, that's close enough, get it out there, as you would have heard from uh, some of the episodes I've done solo. Uh, he says looking at episode 19 and, and earlier ones look I'm, I'm very much about uh, getting it out there and so on Steve has a bit more focus on getting it just right he's the one who's driving us towards the becoming a radio show equivalent the same kind of quality that you'd hear on a on a on a um, commercial radio station um, in terms of the production quality not so much the content our content's better than some commercial radio stations thank you very much but uh, yeah it's uh, so kudos to you mate yeah, I think there's a good balance I'm, I'm out there and wanting to go for it and you're let's get this right and let's get it to as close to perfection as we can and I think a large chunk of the improvement that has been heard across the last six months um, 22 episodes has been because mate you have focused on that you have driven us towards to always increase our quality and and what we're doing and that's a major part of the show as well it's it, you know it's not just us having a chat it's it really does build from there so yeah congrats mate oh now it's my turn to blush yeah there you go it's the blushathon. yeah it matters to me that you know I, I listen to lots of different podcasts and uh, you know one of the big thrills i had this year for instance was uh, being able to go and visit the twit cottage over there in uh, uh, san francisco and meet leo laporte now you can have a I listen to any of those twit programs and i mean that's the that's the, the top of the scale isn't it in terms of production quality but uh, yeah those they're guys, very highly done those guys have been in radio and tv for years uh you know right through to you know just just your basic uh, uh, pc mic into a into a laptop style but uh, yeah I, I i really believe that good quality content is um you know it's, it's more than half the game but but good production quality you know is very very important too and and i, yep. I, I strive for that uh, one of these days i'll get all the uh, settings on this mixer works out worked out <laughs> <laughs> we won't get any background hiss, but uh, yeah, that's just about it from us. Now, folks, we're probably going to take uh, a week or two uh, over Christmas. Uh, we're not sure whether we'll, we'll get any content out over the next couple of weeks. Um, in the meantime, we're going to uh, do some work on our website. If you haven't visited our website lately, folks, there's a number of recent additions that we put onto the website. If you haven't, if you want to know some more about us, for instance, you can click on the About Us tab. Uh, Grant's put a section on there for links to podcasts and sites that we like. If you want to know how we make this podcast, there's a link there, and it can tell you all about how we do this each week. And if you'd like to, uh, if you think you'd like to come on the show and uh, make a contribution to us, if you'd like to send us in uh, an audio file, if you'd like to record your own voice, actually, and send us in a bit, we're always looking for that. And there's a there's a um, a tab on the website that tells you um, of the requirements that we've got for you to do that. Yep, and uh, coming up when I can get the time to do it, uh, we've got a gallery that we're putting together, a photo gallery. We'll be uploading a lot of the shots that Adam's taken as well as our, as well as our own ones. We'll be working to get that uh, skinned and looking good over the break. The, I'll also make sure that we've got a good link to the forums and things like that so you can find them easily. There may be some content coming out. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been a slacker. I haven't completed a couple of episodes. I'm supposed to have worked on whether they come out or not i don't know if i can get a chance i'll work on them and uh, finish them off over the downtime and as you're sitting there on christmas afternoon folks and uh you know sweating off that christmas lunch and feeling a bit drowsy and thinking i might just like to listen to a podcast well always remember this it's what's down under that counts merry christmas folks ho 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 you've been listening to playing crazy down under hosted by steve visher and grant mccarran 
Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.playingcrazydownunder.com, or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. That's very professional, mate. I think I'm sounding more and more like a weather reporter. Did you notice the weather report? <laughs> oh, there's an outtake cool. right there. I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll do some research and let folks know in the new year what's going on there. Uh, okay. Oh, no, we're doing the research now, folks. Why wait for tomorrow when you can know today? Yes, PCDU Technologies, bringing tomorrow today. Having a chat at the... Uh, sorry, he wasn't having a chat. Uh, he was reported... Sorry, we'll start that again. <sighs> oh, look, he's got real clothing on. He's not body painted. Oh, another outtake. <laughs> I'm just going to start that again. I misread it. Okay. Sorry. I better check this before I say it, just to be different. Which bank knows he on again? I think he's on the 20, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to just cut that and dump it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just restarting. Dude, you're getting more and more good questions today. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's because I'm well drinking done. Cordial and you're drinking VB. Oh, wow. No, I'm drinking Melbourne bitter, not VB. Jeez, mm. dude, I've got some class. Sorry, mate. <clears throat> About uh, this, the latest, uh, sorry, <sighs> excuse me, mm-hmm. getting a bit tired. Yeah. Uh, uh, you can click on there, start a, uh, a you know, a, a string, if you like. Is that what they call it, Grant? Just quietly. <laughs> a thread. <laughs> <laughs> That's a believe it. Oh, oh, oh.